106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Let's talk about division. Because you know what is divisive? Telling 75 million Americans to just shut up and take the L on this election. It's Democrats saying that we should be taking a list of every single person that supported Trump and make them pay for what they did. It's Democrats publicly talking about pulling Republicans out of their homes and putting them in re-education camps and taking away their children. It's banning a sitting president on social media so that he can't communicate to the nation. It's also banning or removing conservative apps, conservative music, and conservative podcasts. It's labeling every Republican as a racist or a white supremacist. But it's okay to publicly shame middle-class Trump supporters and saying things, I quote, they're going to go to their Olive Gardens or their Holiday Inns. They're going to go back home and think that they actually did something today when referring to the protest on the 6th. It's also publicly trying to shame a Christian for their religious beliefs. It's trying to impeach a president on a fake FISA warrant and try to impeach him again two weeks left. The vaccination centers when they get stood up across the country. Does the White House support that request? Uh, I did ask our team about this. You or someone else may have asked about this the other day, and I think I have something on it here. One moment. Uh, <clears throat> thanks for your patience. Lots to say about COVID. No doubt. Girl! About it. Um, so, <clears throat> let's see. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, let me, um, talk to our team about it. Really? So, this is what y'all voted for? These people don't know what the hell they doing? Oh my goodness. So, this is Miss I'ma circle back. They circle back and you still don't got nothing to say? You still don't got an answer? So, this is what y'all wanted in the White House. This is what y'all wanted. So this is what y'all want to end the white. Mr. Speaker, I yield two minutes to the small business owner from the great state of Georgia who proudly represents the people of the 14th Congressional District, Ms. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Thank you. The gentlewoman is recognized for two minutes. Thank you. I rise today in opposition to the blue state bailout budget. The Democrats know they don't have the votes to pass these radical policies in the Senate. So they're doubling down on reconciliation to destroy our economy with a $2 trillion taxpayer-funded spending spree. Democrats are using reconciliation for the exact opposite that the purpose it was given and created. With this budget, Democrats are bailing out failing Democrat-run states like Illinois and New York, expanding the welfare state, exploding the deficit, groveling to teachers' unions, and teachers refuse to go to work, and hiking taxes on business owners who don't comply with a higher minimum wage standard. This is just the beginning. They want to pay people more money to stay home rather than allowing them to go back to work and earn a paycheck. They're fine letting school children and parents suffer while teachers unions ignore them but still collect taxpayer-funded paychecks. American politicians sent millions of children and young adults home, closed their schools, banned them from going to their jobs. They forced them to stay in isolation from their peers, canceled prom, canceled sports, canceled graduation. They claimed this was for their safety, but the results have been horrific. 
suicide, depression has been on the rise. Do you think any family will feel like a consolation prize of $1,400 will make them feel good about their teen that committed suicide because of the shutdowns? I don't think so. Democrats are trying to raise the minimum wage for jobs that they won't even let people go to work in. Democrats closed their states while Georgia stayed open. open. Why are we supposed to bail them out? Why are my hardworking constituents being punished for wanting to go to work and support their families? Democrat governors have run their states like tyrants of third world countries, not like free Americans. They're oppressing the American people and reaping the benefits. to you. This is Lou Benninger and you're listening to No Hostages Radio. And this is our 97th episode and it should go up on the web on February 6th of 2021. Thank you for listening. Let me give you a couple ways that you can connect with me. Um, Again, this isn't live stream. This is a pre-recorded a broadcast so uh, you can do a follow-up and and uh, give me information or talk to me about whatever you want to talk to me about and I'll give you the, that information right now so uh, you can reach me at Lou L-O-U at nohostagesradio.com Lou at nohostagesradio.com L-O-U and the, since you heard that website nohostagesradio.com you can get past uh, episodes there all the way back to the beginning, episode one, as well as uh, articles I've written uh, over the past years for Territorial Dispatch, which is a weekly newspaper in the Northern California area. Most of the copies now go out in the Yuba Sutter County's area, but if you get out a little bit farther. But if you're interested in articles, you can read them there. Um, Let's see. Also, you could reach me on my phone at 530-713-1838. 530-713-1838. You can text me, call me, however you want. Uh, I'm on the left coast, and uh, so you can judge the time from where you're listening. We... Um, Let's see, what do I want to say introductory-wise? Let me just say this. Uh, up until about a week ago, I was writing a couple articles a week for the Territorial Dispatch. I'd done so. I've actually lost track of the years, many, many years. And then the Territorial Dispatch uh, changed hands just about a year ago. And uh, so I continued writing for the new owner. But uh, recently, we've uh, I've discontinued writing there because... Uh, I I do it as a uh, contribution. I don't get paid for it, and it's a, just a way to get my views out, uh, just like this is. I pay f- for this as well as other people help me pay for this. But in the newspaper, I wrote for, I don't know, almost a 1,000 articles um, over the years just stating my opinion on various things for the Territorial Dispatch. But the new owner had a, has a different view of, of how I write, 
and decided that certain articles weren't going to run in the paper. So it didn't make sense for me to write articles if they weren't going to run somewhere because I don't need to read it on paper. I have it in my mind. So uh, I've discontinued writing there. And um, so this current issue this week, which would be probably the 4th or 3rd or 4th of February, won't have any issue, wouldn't have my articles in there. So um, no worry. You know, uh, I don't worry about it. There's no hard feelings over there. It's just a different difference of opinion, different perspective more than anything else, not opinion, but perspective. And on and we're we're at uh, the owners younger than I am has a different view of life, and uh, I'm at the end of my life and uh, feeling like the world is getting kind of desperate. So I'm going to uh, put the pedal to the metal, whether it's on on the podcast or if I end up back on the radio. I don't think I'm going to be writing for any newspapers soon, but uh, some people are suggesting that I continue to write articles and post them on Facebook. So thinking about that, uh, I'll let you know uh, how that's going to work out uh, as time passes. So probably in this next week, we'll work on something like that. And what that would mean is if you befriended that Facebook page and follow that Facebook page whenever I posted anything on that page, which I could post an article whenever I wanted, not just when an issue came up, but like in a paper. So um, I could, uh, you could read articles there and you could share them yourself and we could distribute them far and wide that way. So uh, that's uh, probably get, we'll get more distribution than I have been by placing them on my podcast website, nohostagesradio.com. So I'm not quite sure where we're headed here, but I should know more in the next uh, week or so and be able to give you something more firm um, then. And then people, uh, local people, uh, obviously could look on a Facebook page, except for folks that don't have computers, right? There's all kinds of limitations now and hiccups. So, uh, so I just wanted to give you that update. So if people are wondering, uh, don't worry about it. No use to complain. Just, you know, life, life uh, as, I, as I mentioned to the owner of the uh, Territorial Dispatch, for me it comes under Amos uh, chapter 3, verse 3. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? So um, we aren't agreed, and we're, we're just uh, both continuing on. He's going to do the newspaper and, and uh, try to put out a good newspaper, and I'm going to do my best to uh, do good podcasts and write some articles and get them up somewhere. So thank you for that. Uh, let's see. I also wanted to mention that um, I have a friend that uh, took me seriously and has been taking petitions for the Newsom recall, instead of just signing a petition, he's multiplying his influence by taking the petition and going to his neighborhood and getting multiple signatures. And so we're getting close to the all the signatures we need uh, statewide to recall the governor, Governor Newsom. So we need about 1.5 million excellent, perfect signatures. And so to get that, we usually reach out and try to get almost 2 million, so uh, we can toss the goofs and uh, still have plenty. So, but tonight, I just before I started recording this broadcast, he emailed me and said, hey, Lou, uh, 
there's a lot of in our our community in Yuba Sutter counties, uh, Northern California. We have a lot of people from the state of Punjab in India. They've been here for decades, uh, probably since around World War II. They started moving in into this area, and uh, they're wonderful community members and well loved by our community and and have a big influence on our community. So uh, my friend was going door to door and was talking to some what we call them East Indians. Uh, they're actually the true Indians. And uh, were, and some of them didn't know much about the recall. So if you are an Indian uh, in, or Punjabi or live up in this area, Yuba Sutter, and you don't know uh, and, and you know about the recall and you're familiar with it and you support the recall and you're, you're of the of Indians or you're part of the Indian community, if you could help us um, get some signatures and mobilize the Indian community, it would be greatly appreciated. So I'm going to give you my uh, cell number again, and uh, we can talk and uh, we can uh, mobilize and maybe we can get a thousand signatures or so out of the Indian community before the deadline of March 10th, just around the corner. So, but but a, a late signature, in other words, before March 10th, the day before March 10th is just as good as one that was done on June 10th of last year, uh, because a signature is a good signature is a good signature. So, if you can call me, if you're interested in helping with the Punjab community, uh, let's get it on five three zero seven one three one eight three eight. So, uh, if you want to help with the Gavin Newsom recall. You can call me as well, and I'll hook you up locally with Donna Wahlberg. They're trying to do multiple tables around the community, uh, signature tables. If you can spend a couple hours, two to four hours or something like that on a day, it's very easy. They train you how to do it. It's very simple. You don't need to have a specific license. You don't need to do anything except just know how to fill out petition. You can take multiple petitions, blank petitions, fill them out yourselves, mail them in. So uh, you can even go on uh, the the website of Recall Gavin, G-A-V-I-N, 2020, the numerics, 2020.com, and you could print off your own petitions, do it on an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper, and uh, just do one county on one petition. Like, don't, don't mix signatures from different counties. So please do something. Please do that. Let's recall the governor and then let's work on recalling a number of other people or voting a number of other people out of office. Okay. so uh, we're going to be talking about some areas that show the governor's massive incompetence. There's not an area in the state that's working correctly right now. There's billions of dollars being stolen from the state of California, mismanaged by the state of California. It's 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 really uh it's painful to pay high taxes when you know they're being wasted. They're not even the roads aren't getting fixed, uh, the buildings aren't getting fixed, the infrastructure is not getting fixed. It's just being flitted away, mismanaged. So uh, COVID's been mismanaged. There's nothing in the state that's been managed well by Gavin Newsom. He's just a complete. Uh, he's incompetent. That's the best way to put it. I mean, we could get gnarly we could cuss we could do all kinds of things but the, but simply we just we have a lack of uh, competence so i uh, also wanted to mention at, at the beginning that uh, two weeks ago uh almost two weeks ago glad church of glad tidings put on a conference 
bringing in speakers from around the country to talk about everything from the Constitution to vaccines to masks to COVID, uh, all kinds of topics around that area, how to have a constitutional county. Uh, and we called it the, or they called it the Free and the Brave Conference. And uh, many people have been asking about that that couldn't be there that weekend. So it was uh, widely attended by just not, uh, particularly not local people. There were a lot of local people there, but people came from all the way up to the Oregon border. Even one speaker was from Oregon all the way down to the Bay Area and maybe a few from Southern California. Uh, it turned out the Los Angeles Times attended and uh, a reporter came up and uh, wrote a amazingly uh, distorted article and, and wrote an article defending, sort of defending Gavin Newsom and mocking the recall effort, but included the Church of Glad Tidings Free and the Brave Conference and and made sort of a mockery of it. But it's uh, my feeling is even when you get bad press, it's uh, it's good publicity. So I thought it was great. I don't I'm not complaining about it. I'm just telling you about it. So I'm, I'm leading up to something. So the freedom, the free and the brave conference was just not uh, wasn't a one and done effort. But it was a it was sort of a initial shot to uh, get patriots and activists organized and uh, in Northern California to actually go to work, not just whine, not just attend more and more and more me meetings. Like I think the Tea Party just got into attending meetings, 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 and they just quit doing things. They quit working. They quit. They quit uh, lobbying. They quit. They just quit. They just, it's, you know, it's the same thing in church. It's the easiest thing to do is to just keep doing meetings and it's a disaster. So in order to uh, build upon the momentum that was generated in the Freedom Free and the Brave Conference, uh, people gave us their names, address, emails. People were, were, were reconnecting with many of those peoples from various counties. Some counties are way ahead in some of the activism. Some are farther behind and some are um, there's a mixture. Some counties are ahead in one area, behind in another. So we're going to kind of reconstitute or or be begin networking and uh on a variety of levels so uh and to that end glad tidings at 1179 eager road or on highway 99 in eager road in uh, sutter county is is going to be hosting what we call freedom coalition meetings freedom coalition meetings and that's going to be every first friday of the month at 7 p.m., and when you get on the campus, it's called Building 200. It's the first building on the left as you pull into the campus at 1179 Eager Road. And so that's the first Friday of the month. Now, we're going to have uh, special speakers, and there'll be it'll be an educational aspect as well as a number of other speakers. It just won't be one lecture or something like that. Uh, so it's all going to start on March 5. March 5, that's the first Friday we're going to start, or they're going to start out there. So I'll be promoting that, but that's just around the corner. Uh, just a, That's just a month away. So I'll be get a chance to promote that a couple more times. So I'll tell you who the speaker is if you're, if you're planning on driving in. And then uh, I learned this week that I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think there's probably a date set that Dinesh D'Souza, who some of you got to see when he was out here uh, raising money for Tamika Hamilton, who ran for uh, Congress, uh, District 3 Congress. 
And uh, but somehow he's going to be back. And I don't know the dates yet. I didn't have time to sort that out before the show. Uh, but uh, it's not like next week or something. So we're good. And but he's coming back and going to be speaking. I don't know whether it's going to be a fundraiser or uh, help his projects or somebody else's projects. I, I don't know. Uh, so anyway, first Friday of each month. And, and of course we will promote that ahead of time. So you can see, oh, I think that's going to be a real important meeting. And, and, uh, we've started a group at the, uh, at the church of glad tidings where the Bra- the freedom free and the brave conference was called the Issachar click or Issachar group. And, uh, they are organizing, um, coordinating between various activists in various counties to keep our counties free. It looks to us, uh, unless something unexpected occurs with President Trump, that uh, we're ended up going to have a communist country and a communist uh, state here. But we believe that we can preserve a free county because of the concept of the constitutional sheriff. Now, there's a there's an actual book I think by that same name, Constitutional Sheriff or The Constitutional Sheriff by Sheriff Mack, M-A-C-K. So if you're sheriff, if you're in another county in California or in any other state, uh, the way the Constitution of the United States was designed, the the sheriff of the county is the highest constitutional officer and actually is the most powerful uh, uh, officer in the uh, in the county over the board of supervisors and he can, uh, or she, if, if it's a she sheriff, uh, he or she can, uh, take precedent over state agencies, federal agencies. They can turn away, uh, people at their, the border of their County. There's a lot of rights that constitutional sheriffs had have. Now we passed those books out at the, uh, I thought actually Sheriff Mack was going to be at the free and brave conference. He said he wanted to be, but maybe there was a hindrance in transportation, but I know they were handing out some of his books there. <clears throat> you could do your sheriff a favor if you purchased that book and and gave it to him as a gift, constitutional sheriff. So we're going to do some uh, organizing and community organizing uh, amongst the various activists in the various counties because some are asking for help, like out there in Butte County, Nevada County, our surrounding counties of Yuba Sutter. And or whatever county uh, needs help, we're going to share whatever information. We're not experts. None of us are experts. We're all learning and um, and moving forward and trying to take back our counties. Now, if you're like us in Yuba Sutter County, most of the government meetings are closed, unconstitutionally closed. And the only reason they're not open is nobody has the, the pop, the financial and the legal pop to file a lawsuit. Uh, I was just talking to someone today, uh, a, a legal person who's one of the top law firms in California. And he said, Lou, uh, the, the way that that's going to change if they're resistant is to sue them. And it's going to take a lawsuit to do it. And so Yuba County right now is stubbornly holding on to zoom meetings. They don't meet in their building at all. Sutter County last week opened uh, two weeks at their last meeting, which is uh, two weeks ago. uh, Just um, they opened their meetings to the public. People could speak, could address their grievances or make suggestions or ask questions of the board right in front of them. Uh, So that's new. Uh, I've I've heard the Yuba City City Council is um, 
it was open for a while. I heard they closed again. I'm a little confused about what's going on over there. And the Marysville City Council uh, I, is still closed to the public, I believe. So we're the part of the activism in these counties is to get our rights back. They've been taken from us, right? And uh, get the masks off, forget the social distancing, be able to go into our county buildings, be able to go, go in and talk to our supervisors, the city council members during their meetings. Uh, you, it is illegal to have an unending emergency where you shut the public out. It's illegal. But just like anything else, if a law is not enforced, it really doesn't amount to anything, right? If if you got a red light and people run it all the time, it's really not a law, is it? If they don't if they don't enforce it, so uh, that's what we're going to work on. We're going to work on, uh, you know, what's happened is instead of a government of the people by the people for the people, it's become a government of politicians, and they tell the people what to do. That's what's happening right now in America. And so uh, just like the founding fathers had to take their country back from England uh, and say, this is our country. We need to take our counties. We're not going to change the state. We're not going to change the federal government. We need to change our county. If you can't pull that off, you can't get any muster. You can't get out of your lazy boy and get on down there and do do something. Uh, you're not going to be able to wind your way to change uh, up there at Sacramento or Washington, D.C. I'm going to be right back. If you've never done this before with me, it's six segments and we have a little education here between each one. So here's the first break. Please, Mr. Jailer, won't you let my man go free? Oh, oh, oh. please, Mr. Jailer. During his first four years in office, one of the many things Donald Trump was criticized for by the left was his passing of executive orders. They said that these made him a dictator. What's funny is during his first three days in office, he passed one executive order. During Bush's first three days in office, he passed zero. Clinton passed one and Obama passed five. Biden passed 19. Biden passed 19 executive orders in his first three days in office. Why isn't the left calling him a dictator? How did the Democrats trick so many people to get to this point? Well, we look at what they do. We go back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and we want, we look for their strategy. We look for their strategy. What did they start doing? You probably before you and I were even born. What did they start doing in the 1970s? They started talking about climate change. And they didn't talk about it scientifically. They talked about it emotionally. They told us that this was something that was gonna destroy our lives as we know it. They told us the polar bears were gonna die. They told us the ice caps were melting. They started using language and rhetoric that stokes fear. So we feel this fear, especially as young women, we feel um, preemptive protection for our families, our children, our future children, our grandchildren. We want them to be able to grow up, you know, in a yard with grass and go sledding in the winter, like we did when we were children. We don't want them to live in some uh, destroyed version of our earth where snow has melted and deserts have burned out and the climate is completely ruined. So they plant the seed, the seed of fear. And then they create urgency. They say, if we don't do something soon, we're going to get past the point of no return. So that plants in our mind, not only the seed of fear, but that impetus that we need to take action. And they do this and they repeat this over and over. So that's what the left did. They planted that seed of fear. 
they created that urgency, that impetus of, oh, what do we do? How do we save this? And then they repeated it until it became normalized it, normalized to us. And then they told us, well, the free market, the private sector, they've had their opportunity to fix this. We've already given them their chance. They, they failed. They couldn't do it. So the only people that can solve this problem, they tell us, is us, governments, government bureaucrats. So what have they done? Fear, urgency. They've said the private sector can't fix this. We can fix this. We're the only ones that can fix this. And then they bring it to a head. They tell us, well, this, at, this isn't something that's going to happen in the you know, indefinite future. This is something that if we don't do in 12 years, you guys have heard that line, right? 12 years, 2030, and we're all dead. They cite the United Nations, very, very nonpartisan group. Those people, you can really count on them for science. They cite the United Nations and say 12 years and we're dead if we don't do something radical. They use the word radical. And then once they've prepped us, once they've planted the fear and stoked the urgency, once they've told us the private sector can't fix it and that government's the only way that we can solve this problem or we're going to die in 12 years, then, only then, do they give us the Green New Deal. And so what do people feel when they see this? Do they look inside of it? And do they think about it critically? Or do they think, finally, finally, we're going to be saved from this. Our lives are going to be put back to normal and we're going to be the generation that solved this moral crisis. And people don't look at it. That is how you unpack the Democrats' ulterior motive. You look at what they did, whether it's short game or whether it's long game, and you unpack it to look at what they're actually trying to do. The Democrats know that if they try to sell socialism directly to us, if they say, hi, I'm whatever, John Smith, and I'm running for president of the United States, and I'm a socialist, a lot of people are going to be like, buzz off. So what do they do? They tell us it's about climate. Meanwhile, you unpack it, you unpeel the layers of that onion, and what do you find in there? Just straight up socialism. You find government-run healthcare at a universal basic income, guaranteed jobs, free college, you know, redistribution of wealth to the point that it's immoral and egregious to have billionaires that even exist in our nation anymore. It is just socialism. What's up, everyone? Andy with the Heartland Institute, bringing you more from climaterealism.com. So today we're going to talk about an article from Al Jazeera that Google has bumped right to the top of their search results. It's titled, In Pictures, Global Warming Forces Bangladeshi Tribals to Migrate. And it claims that global warming is leading to drought, which is leading towards crop failures and thus forcing Bangladeshi tribals to migrate or become climate refugees. So they have tons of pictures in the article, which apparently illustrate this point. Illustrate. Here they are. Let's see if it makes sense. So here we have a young woman who is collecting water, it seems. Uh, apparently this is proof of drought. Here's another picture of a stream. Apparently this is proving drought. And we have another stream. I'm just going picture by picture here. So here's a dried up waterfall. I don't know when this waterfall dried up because they don't tell us that. Probably on purpose because I'm going to guess it wasn't within the last few years. So let's chalk this one up as nothing. Here's a photo of a tribe. Again, not sure what this has to do with global warming. Ah, yes, this picture of a woman smoking a pipe. Now that proves that global warming is leading to drought. So those pictures apparently paint a picture of climate change and then drought and then crop failures and then climate refugees. The problem is the data does not back it up. Here it is. So I'm showing you a chart that shows Bangladeshi cereal production from 2006 to 2017. It's in metric tons. You can see that there's a large increase in cereal production, which is the most important crop. 
The number may have slightly dipped from 2015 to 2017, but it's still well above values seen in the early 2000s. Now, what's interesting is that in the last six months, Al Jazeera has put out two different articles claiming Bangladeshi farmers are becoming climate refugees due to weather events. The first article claimed it was due to excessive rainfall and flooding. The new article, which is what we're talking about right now, claims it's due to drought, which means less rainfall. So apparently, these two extremely contradictory weather events in a short period of time are leading towards climate refugees, and that's because they're both false. As we've said, cereal crop production in Bangladesh is reaching virtually new highs every single year. More, crop yields per acre, and crop yields per acre mean how many crops you get per acre of land farmed. So it's not the kind of thing where if you farm more acres, you get higher crop yields. It's a specific set of land. Have more than doubled than that of 30 years ago. Sandy with the Heartland Institute. Check out climaterealism.com. Check out Climate at a Glance, and we'll see you next time. Now, a guy could probably spend uh, four or five hours a day talking about all the things, the terrible things that are going on in our government uh, at the federal level. I'm, I'm not going to do that. There's a lot of things to talk about here that, that we can work on, and uh, I'm going to point out some things that I think uh, are incredible. But I wanted to mention a couple of things from the beginning. During Joe Biden's a campaign for president, he said in 2020, folks, Donald Trump doesn't have a plan to get this virus under control. Biden then said, I do. He said that repeatedly in October and November in the run up to the, uh, the election, the presidential election. Now it's 2021. And recently he said, folks, there's nothing I can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. You know, people, uh, we have it's very difficult to find a politician that's honest. And uh, I have been amazed at the amount of of department heads that fled from Trump. Uh, Mitch McConnell's wife, who's a traitor. Ellen Chow, uh, Betsy Voss, or Betty Voss, whatever her name is, who was the Secretary of Education, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is a, a traitor, a dirty—Kevin McCarthy is dirty. I don't know whether you remember um, years ago, I don't know, was it was 2015-16, where he was should have been the next Speaker of the House under John Boehner, and uh, it turned out that he be, it began to be reported that the representative— I think from North or South Carolina, Renee Elmer's House of Representatives, that she had, both of them were married with children. Uh, Kevin's wife, Judy, uh, you know, anyway, supposedly a God, Christian gal down in uh, Bakersfield area. Anyway, Kevin and, and uh, Renee supposedly had been having an affair for years, and it finally was coming out because he was now going to be considered uh, as the chairman of the, uh, of the House of Representatives. And uh, so when it came out, of course, he denied it. Renee denied it. Renee ended up, I think, losing her. Uh, she was a nurse by trade, but became a, a congresswoman. Anyway, uh, they both denied it, and Renee ended up ending her political career. And McCarthy stepped down as the candidate 
uh, to replace, replace John Boehner and a guy named Paul Ryan, who was a total, total disaster and weak. And uh, I, I don't even know why they have Republican uh, by their name. They're not Republicans. So now we have uh, Kevin McCarthy, who just uh, took aim uh, at, at a, uh, let me get the name right here. Get over. He just, he backstabbed Trump. And then now he's attacking uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a freshman congresswoman out of Georgia, who is who is filing uh, impeachment petition against Biden and is a small businesswoman. And uh, both the uh, rhinos or the uh, Democrats in name only the anti-Trumper, I mean, not Democrats, but Republicans, the anti-Trumper Republicans and the Democrats are attacking and carpet bombing Marjorie Taylor Greene. And because she's a uh, conservative and she's taken them to task. And I, as, as you listen to the, uh, the intro today, you heard her on the Senate floor or the uh, uh, house of representatives floor. And, uh, and in the third segment here, you're going to hear an uh, interview between uh, an interview of her by Dinesh D'Souza. And I'll, that's coming up here in the next segment, I believe next segment Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's very refreshing. She's a straight shooter, and she just – you. I wish she was from California. Anyway, she's from Georgia. And uh, all right, so uh, let me get back to my sheet on the other page. I'm jumping around here a bit. So uh, there's some dirty people. Kevin McCarthy is one of them. I, I'm ashamed to say he's from uh, – He's from California. I've always felt the guy was dirty. I just had a bad feeling about him. And uh, he he was kissing up to Trump the whole time he was there. And now he's he's speaking trash about Trump. Uh, Ted Cruz is speak, speaking trash about Trump. Uh, you're seeing all kinds of colors coming out on these people. So pay attention. Now, I just uh, I want to mention some things about Donald Trump today because Donald Trump was right. And uh, and the actual Democrats are proving him right. For instance, uh, one time, uh, one of the Deborah Burks Fauci uh, celebrity meetings uh, about covid, Trump stood up and said, I think that the solution is hydroxychloroquine. And everybody had a meltdown. The media, the media attacked him for just a, the another 10,000th time. Fauci attacked him. So uh, so. One day, Trump says that he's actually taking hydroxychloroquine. On May 19th, <clears throat> uh, Pelosi goes on CNN and says hydroxychloroquine is dangerous. On June 16th, the FDA revokes the use of hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine, I used to take it when I would fly to Africa or India where they said there was a bad malaria problem as a prophylactic. Prophylactic for you guys in Oliverst and Linda means a... Uh, a preventative, okay, prophylactic. So that had been around for literally decades, and nobody ever explained, oh, you might have any kind of a side effects to it. There were no side effects to even worry about. So it had been administered for illnesses and all kinds of things. So June 16th, after May, and after Trump made the statement, we ought to try hydroxychloroquine, when, when Fauci says the only thing to stop this is a vaccine. Now, the interesting thing is I just uh, listened to this Dr. Merritt. She's brilliant, just totally brilliant, makes Fauci look like a 
a retard. Anyway, Merritt says, she said, the only reason that we we designed vaccines and worked so hard at vaccines for polio and smallpox and those things was because we, we could never come up with a drug to help people that got those ailments. But she said, we have all kinds of medicines and we do have all kinds of medicines that are already created and already effective as a prophylactic and as a, uh, a preemptive strike on anybody that gets COVID. No one should have ever had to go to the hospital. No one should have ever had to go to on a ventilator. It's totally medical malpractice. So, uh, so in May, Pelosi goes out CNN. It's very dangerous. June 16, FDA says we're pulling it off the OK list. July 31st, Fauci says HCQ hydroxychloroquine is not effective, right? And he's speaking against thousands of doctors that are effectively using it, right? So, all of a sudden, one. One day I was looking at some paperwork on the uh, American Medical Association, and right after the election, what do you think happened? American Medical Association endorsed hydroxychloroquine, said it was a wonder drug, and said everybody ought to be using it. Biden's administration said HCQ is okay, and doctors are now allowed to prescribe it. Isn't it interesting how that worked? Now, I'm I'm okay about politics, right? I, I know how politics work. But when you are toying with people's lives and allowing them to die so Donald Trump could could get kicked out of office, that ain't cool for me. Those are real people. Those are people's grandmas and grandpas and dads and moms. And to to forbid people from getting hydroxychloroquine or any other uh, medication that a very inexpensive medication that could literally change your symptoms in 24 hours when you're really sick to feeling really funky to feeling pretty good in 24 hours that fast, never go to the hospital, never have a PCR test, never have any of that baloney, never get quarantined, no need for quarantine. It's all political people and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have died and didn't need to die. And all because people wanted to have their party in power. And they didn't like Donald Trump. That's what this is all about. Now, okay, let me go on down here and uh, see. I I, I want to read this. Uh, this is a Rush Limbaugh, uh, the script off uh, his talk the other day. And and I, I think it's very good. And I, I think it's encouraging. And it's easy to forget uh, how good it was and how many good things Donald Trump did. So he says, Rush Limbaugh says, my days on earth are numbered. By the way, all of our days are numbered. If you think you got all kinds of years ahead of you, the Bible says you ought to think about that again and say, if the Lord wills. Because you don't need to have cancer to die. You could just, your heart can just stop, right? So he says, my days on earth are numbered because he has lung cancer. But before I fade away, there's something important I need to say. It may not be important to anyone else, but it's important to me. Win, lose, or fraud, President Trump, I just want to thank you for the last four years. Thank you for making it cool to be an American again. Thank you for showing us that we don't need to be under China's thumb any more economically or any other way. Thank you for one of the strongest economies we've ever experienced in my lifetime. Thank you for all you have done for the minority communities and the outstanding decrease in unemployment rate you had. Thank you for making it feel good to love our country 
and to be a proud patriot again. Thank you for supporting our nation's flag and the men and women who fought for the freedom that stands behind the flag. Thank you for supporting our nation's law enforcement organizations and understanding how difficult their job really is. Thank you for quelling the flood of illegal immigration and bringing to justice the thousands of criminals that flood uh, that flood brought us. Thank you for giving corporations a reason to come back to America to make our own products and put Americans back to work again. Thank you for bringing our troops home from the never-ending deployments that presented us with little more than body bags and for your honorable commitment to strengthen our military. Thank you for uh, uh, Operation Warp Speed and keeping your promise to bring the COVID-19 vaccine vaccine to us in less than a year. Thank you for your never-ending attempts to bring peace to the Middle East and your support for Israel. Thank you for your tax relief. Thank you for the energy independence you wanted to give us. Uh, Most of all, thank you for taking a damn rotten job that you never had to take. Thank you for caring enough for this country to want to try and make a difference. Thank you for showing America how little career politicians actually work for their huge paychecks, perks, we don't get, and for their constituents who trusted them blindly. And for showing us how much all those politicians despise you for showing America how easy it is to build a great nation rather than rape her to line their own pockets and stock portfolios. Thank you for allowing us to experience a president that wasn't a lifelong politician, but a lifelong American. Thank you, Mr. President. You did your best. That's Rush Limbaugh. A couple of comments here I think I'll do from, uh, let's see, uh, Kevin Kiley, uh, gruesome Newsom. I, I think he's just actually, actually, I think he's mental. He's gone mental on us. He's now saying he's winning in court. Kevin Kiley, who's a nearby assembly man uh, up in the foothills and to the uh, east of uh, Sacramento, part of Sacramento and to the east, Kevin Kiley says, I actually had no idea what he was talking about when he said he was winning. But to be honest, that's often the case with Newsom. It appears that state Supreme Court simply declined to review one petition from a county that hadn't gone through the lower courts first. He said that wasn't. uh, uh, He said, on the other hand, our victory. Over Newsom wasn't finalized by the Supreme Court on November Uh, or it was finalized by the Supreme Court on November 13th, and the Court of Appeal spurned Newsom's wish for an immediate reversal despite his hysterical assertion that the ruling calls into question vast swaths of the state's emergency response to COVID-19. The higher court's decision, which is still pending, could potentially result in an even greater loss for the governor. He said that wasn't Newsom's only recent loss. The U.S. Supreme Court called into doubt his restrictions on churches and has now demanded a response from him. Another court in San Diego ruled that given uh, every opportunity the state has provided the court with no evidence to justify an outdoor dining ban, and the appeals court did not question that finding. Newsom also faced a flurry of new lawsuits that just filed in the last few weeks, including one yesterday over youth sports. But let's pretend for a moment that Newsom is right, that he actually is winning. Then who's losing? Students, 
athletes, parents, small business owners, faith leaders, salon owners, restaurants, restauranteurs. Those are the plaintiffs in these cases. Newsom apparently views them all as adversaries to be defeated. Let's defeat all our Californians, not, not, not the constituents to be served. Kylie says, I've never viewed our case against Newsom as about w- us winning or him losing. It's about redeeming our representative form of government. That's the proper role of the courts, incidentally, not to control our lives, but to stop anyone else from doing so. To protect our personal freedoms as individuals and our collective freedom as a self-governing community. Right now, we're not self-governing people. We're being governed by supervisors, people that are beholding to the governor because they're all being controlled by the money stream. If you don't do what I tell you and you don't screw the constituents, then I'm going to take away your money. So um, Kylie says, I touched on this point in a speech yesterday to a large gathering of student athletes at a let them play rally. These kids are seeing everything that's wrong with our government, but they're also discovering their own power to make their voices heard. It's so important that young people come out of this dark era, not with a tolerance for authoritarianism, but with an appreciation for its evils. They can help light the new path uh, of self-government. We've already, he said, he, sorry, they can help light the new spark of self-government. We've already, uh, we're already seeing in the 1.3 million recall signatures so far. All right, so that's Kylie, who's who's really the bright bulb in Northern California politically in standing up against the governor repeatedly. Now, we had hoped that lots of people would get arrested. There were all kinds of uh, prognosticators, prophets, all kinds of people saying that dirty politicians are going to be arrested, corrupt politicians, thieves, uh people that molested children, pedophiles, uh, all these people are going to be arrested, murderers, people that killed people to cover their own sin. Um, That hasn't really happened. Uh, Peter Strzok, you remember arrogant Peter Strzok, one of the many FBI guys that were so arrogant. I just thought this is making me sick to my stomach to see FBI people so arrogant and resistant and liars, just bold, hardened, callous liars and peter strock was one of them remember him he had he was having an affair with lisa page she was an attorney for the fbi well the headline this week is that peter strock's wife i guess they're still together it's amazing the tenacity you know uh i think uh all you have to do oh by the way let me just jump back here remember kevin mccarthy i was talking about earlier if you look up kevin mccarthy and renee elmers e-l-l-m-e-r-s and and their affair. If you look up under images, you'll see a picture of Kevin McCarthy the day he said, I'm not going to run for uh, the House Speakership. And his wife, Judy, is looking up at him. And if you think that dude isn't guilty, you look into the face of his wife. And if you, if you think that she believes he's innocent, she looks pretty sick. Pretty sick-looking woman. Uh, she's a, a pretty woman, but I'm telling you, uh, she is not happy with her husband. And uh, that's all you need to say. But so or, or, oh, that's all you need to see. So anyway, Peter Strzok's wife, you never think, uh, oh, you mean that he actually had a wife to sticking with him? So her name is Melissa Hodgman. 
And uh, the article says Hodgman is the wife of disgraced former FBI agent Peter Strzok. Well, that's about the only punishment Peter's ever going to get. He got fired from the FBI and he's disgraced. But he's probably back working for the administration. Do you know that right now under the Biden administration? And so her, Melissa Hodgman, you think, I wonder if she had the same sympathies and was deviant the way Peter was. Because she just got appointed to head the agency uh, called the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, more fo- more commonly known as the SEC, that that over looks over all the stocks and all the big wheeling and dealing on Wall Street. And so she was appointed to head the agency's division of enforcement as its acting director. It's so interesting because in the article. It talks about Melissa's dedication to investing, investor protection, broad experience in the division. It just sounds like a boilerplate. She's a wonderful gal. Then it says, Melissa, check this out. See whether this gives you comfort. Melissa has overseen a wide range of complex and programmatically important matters. What do you think those were? People cheating each other? People doing Ponzi schemes? Nope. Here's, Here's the big issues. She was a leading voice in the division on critical issues like diversity, hiring, and labor management. And now she's going to oversee the people stealing you blind. But her big accomplishments was on diversity, making sure we had enough blacks and Hispanics in certain spots and women and homosexuals and bisexuals and transsexuals. That was her big She's like, oh, Melissa, you've got it down, girl. You got the you got the rainbow flag behind your desk. And hiring. Oh, yeah, that's really important. And labor management. Oh, that's really important. Well, we want Securities and Exchange Commission. Check out. We just went through this whole thing with GameStop. Check that out. All right, we're gonna take a break. This is the end of our second go around. We'll be back in just a moment. has made a decision on keeping or keeping the scope of Space Force. Wow, Space Force. It's, it's the plane of today. Um, it is an interesting question. Um, I am happy to check with our Space Force point of contact. I'm not sure who that is. I will find out and see if we have any update on that. They're really showing themselves to do really well. Last year, the New York Times published the 1619 Project, an immensely ambitious, influential, and controversial reframing of American history. The project's creator, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who won a Pulitzer Prize for her work, argued that the U.S. Constitution was a decidedly undemocratic document and that anti-Black racism runs in the very DNA of this country. Our country says that we were founded to be a democracy but we were actually founded as a slaveocracy. This interpretation of the American founding has been the subject of a heated debate. The 1619 Project has also been adapted into a high school curriculum that attempts to reframe U.S. history by marking the year when the first enslaved Africans arrived on Virginia soil as our nation's foundational date. 
after the 1619 Project was attacked by five eminent historians, the project's editor responded by reiterating Hannah Jones's view that advances for minority groups have almost always come as a result of political and social struggles in which African Americans have generally taken the lead, not as a working out of the eminent logic of the Constitution. But this view of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence is at odds with that of Frederick Douglass, the escaped slave, abolitionist, author, and towering figure in American history. In his new book, A Glorious Liberty, Frederick Douglass and the Fight for an Anti-Slavery Constitution, recent senior editor Damon Root looks at the arguments that took place in the middle of the 19th century over racism and America's founding, which are being replayed today. If you look at what Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison were fighting over in the 1840s and 1850s, you see what people are fighting about right now, which is, is was the founding just a pro-slavery compact, and Douglass completely rejects that. As a former slave, Douglass had no illusions about racism, but his view of the Constitution, which he called a glorious liberty document, would put him at odds with many of its contemporary critics. Douglass's challenge really is that the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence lay out these powerful principles, but why don't we live up to them? Clearly, the nation is not living up to those principles. Habeas corpus, due process of law, the right to keep and bear arms, any of those things, if sort of fully enforced, that's, you know, slavery can't stand. And he would point that out again and again and again. Root argues that Douglass was a classical liberal who believed in the primacy of individual rights and economic freedom. One of his intellectual adversaries was the slavery apologist George Fitzhugh, whose 1854 book, Sociology for the South, or the Failure of Free Society, defended slavery by repudiating the principles of liberalism. He has this attack on John Locke, attack on Adam Smith, attack on all these liberal principles, and you see Frederick Douglass picking up the banner of those principles and making it the bedrock of his all-out war on slavery. He talked about the powerful experience of earning his first free dollar on the docks in New Bedford, Massachusetts, when he escapes, and what that meant to him, that he was now his own master, a tremendous fact, he writes in his, one of his autobiographies. It all comes back to this idea of self-ownership. Locke's theory of self-ownership, property rights, begins with the ownership in yourself and everything flows out from that. Unlike many of his contemporaries, Douglas extended his beliefs in unalienable individual rights to women as well. In 1848, he attended the Seneca Falls Convention that launched the women's suffrage movement. There are 100 people at the Seneca Falls Convention. He's one of 32 men. He's the only black person there. He takes the radical position alongside Elizabeth Cady Stanton that um, women should have not just a whole host of other legal privileges that they're denied at the time, but, but women should have the right to vote. Stanton said that was almost too radical for the convention. There were people who were against it. They thought, oh, we can't go that far. And Douglas is right there shoulder to shoulder with her on that issue. Douglas would have a bitter fall out with Elizabeth Cady Stanton and other suffragettes after the Civil War, when only former male slaves got the right to vote. But he would reconcile with them later in his life. The last thing that Douglas does the day he dies is he attends a women's rights meeting. That's his last public act, and he goes home and, and dies of either a heart attack or a stroke. He falls dead in his home. So he goes out doing what he always did, fighting for liberty and equality. In a country that seems more divided along racial and ethnic lines than it has been in decades, Root says that Frederick Douglass's belief in principles undergirding the American founding have a lot to teach us about how to build a society based on mutual respect, empathy, and individualism. 
Douglas, he says, stressed that rights for one or rights for all, ending slavery was also something that benefited the country as a whole. Slavery is a pernicious institution. It, it's economically crippling, all these sorts of things. Free labor system benefits whites and blacks. To the extent that a civil rights cause looks like it just benefits one group, in fact, its benefits are far and wide to, to all involved. That's certainly a lesson we can, we can continue to take today. The nation's founding doesn't need to be dialed back to 1619 to acknowledge the horrific legacy of slavery and honor the major role played by African Americans in the nation's history. We would do well not only to remember the examples set by Frederick Douglass in his life, but also to embrace his understanding of the Constitution as a glorious liberty document whose ideals of freedom and equality we must never stop fighting to realize. There's too many of you crying And brother, brother, brother There's too many of you dying You know we've got to find a way All right, this is our third segment And this is a segment where we're going to play an interview uh, Of Dinesh D'Souza And uh, with the freshman congresswoman from georgia and we're going to do that in just a, a couple minutes but i want to just fin finish up with melissa hodgman who is the, the uh, wife of the disgraced fbi guy peter strock they don't have the same last name obviously um it says at the last paragraph of this article strock was infamously removed from special counsel Mueller, Robert Mueller's Russia investigation in 2017 and subsequently fired by the FBI a year later over anti-Trump emails and text messages he exchanged with former FBI attorney Lisa Page. Okay, so uh, if these people were, it's interesting that he was fired by the FBI. You got to be one funky taco to get fired by the FBI nowadays. I mean, you could be a killer a molester. I mean, if you got guys like McCabe, Strock, Rosenstein, these guys are dirty dogs, dirty dogs. So, uh, so Melissa is really strong on diversity, hiring, and labor management, but she's going to be o overseeing all the big money men. Can you imagine all the? the cheating and and ripoffs that's going on in these big stock broker brokerage firms she's got no skill in those areas at all they they tout out she's going to worry about what how many colors we are in the office and whether whether enough people have sex in the most strange ways right and if we can all s squeeze into one bathroom and share it right and how proud we are that we can all use the same toilet it's just like is this bizarre or what totally bizarre all right um so let me just let me just do this one this gal just uh got appointed <clears throat> to the biden administration her, her, she's from california her name is julie sue su asian lady and um she's getting promoted to a top post in the uh the biden administration but yet she is the one who oversaw the $31 billion scam where Russian criminals, Chinese criminals, all these foreign criminals and, um, and American criminals scammed 
our unemployment system. Did you know that all kinds of all kinds of inmates in the Florida prisons were dipped into over a million dollars in unemployment benefits from California taxpayers? We lost thirty one billion dollars under the the leadership of of Julie Sue S.U., the Asian lady. This story is unbelievable. It, it is totally unbelievable. Many people that deserved employment, unemployment benefits got none. But all kinds of people. In fact, one guy or one gal stole the identity of Dianne Feinstein, the senator from the great state of California, and pulled in over a million dollars of unemployment. A million, over a million dollars. Julie Sue, she's the California, she was the California Labor and Workforce Development Agency Secretary, Julie Sue. She said, there's no way to sugarcoat the reality. California did not have sufficient security measures in place to prevent this level of fraud. How many times have we heard, yeah, California just fell down at the DMV. California just kind of slipped and fell at the Caltrans. California just slipped and fell over here. She, she says, as millions of Americans applied for help, intent, international and national criminal rings were at, the, at work behind the scenes working relentlessly to steal unemployment benefits using sophisticated methods of identity theft. You know, we need to go back to just having stacks of cash and standing in line and going and getting it. We can't even send out the money anymore. In one particular egregious example of how the system was gamed. They sent roughly $1 billion. California state government sent $1 billion of our tax dollars to criminals currently behind jails and prisons who filed false claims. That's all over the country. $1 billion, not million, $1 billion. California's fraud problem is particularly glaring because but it's not an outlier. It's a part of a national trend. Well, that's really great, Julie. It just made me feel better knowing that it's happening in 49 other states. I just feel like, eh, no, no big deal. A billion here, billion there. 12 billion here, 15 billion there. So this is so hilarious. Rapper, there's a rapper named Nuke Bizzle. You ever heard of him? I haven't, right? He's probably famous. Right? I don't know. Nuke Bizzle, right? Rapper Nuke Bizzle. Look him up on YouTube and listen to some of his music. He allegedly stole $1.2 million and then turned around and wrote a rap song bragging about it. Uh, unbelievable. We had a Nigerian fraud ring involved. A Russian fraud ring. Unbelievable. All in all, the government lost a whopping $36 billion in just one year, 2020. You wonder, you know, we're, we're getting taxed. Nobody's taxing anybody worse than California is. And then they, they got so much money, they can lose $36 billion and not miss it. Isn't this amazing? Not miss it. And Gavin's going down to the French Laundry and having himself... A bar bill of $15,000, uh, $15, not $1,500, $15,000 at $350 plate meals, and, and $36 billion is stolen from the state, and they don't even miss it. 
The article says in the private enterprise, the profit motive drives employers to limit waste inefficiencies of all kinds. They exert downward pressure on employees who are often fired if they allow enormous waste to occur. In all such private enterprises, those spending money directly or indirectly have skin in the game. The opposite is true in government. There's no profit motive driving efficiency. This key aspect of private enterprise is replaced by bureaucracy, which is kryptonite to efficiency and accountability. In other words, it destroys efficiency and accountability. Indeed, the affirmation, aforementioned California official who oversaw this wonderful scandal, Julie Sue, is actually receiving a promotion uh, to uh, because President Biden has nominated her to serve as his administration, Department of Labor. My God, oh my God, oh my God. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So when nobody has any skin in the game, right? So let me read you. Uh, this is, uh, if you've ever get a chance on YouTube to watch Milton Friedman, he was a Nobel, Nobel Prize winning economist, brilliant guy. His parents were Russian Jews who immigrated here just after the turn of the, the night uh, of the 1900s, early 1900s, before 1920. He said, Milton Friedman said this. I, I always remember, I, he actually, I played this clip, says, when you shop. So, so this is a way to look at the most efficient ways to handle money. Okay. So Milton Friedman says, when you shop for yourself with your own money, you have every incentive to avoid waste. Look for bargains and ensure that you're getting a quality product. Similarly, when you spend other people's money on yourself, like a gift card, for example, somebody gives you a gift card and it, they're giving you a gift. So then when you spend that in a similar way as the other way I just explained, you still have an incentive to shop frugally and seek quality and get the best deal and get more for your money, right? But consider this scenario. This is government. If I spend someone else's money to help somebody else, in other words, you take money from person A and then you're going to spend it on person B, you're not getting any of it. He said the spender isn't concerned about how much it is, and I'm not concerned about what I get, Friedman famously said, and free to choose, and that's government. So he says if I spend somebody else's money on somebody else, I'm not concerned about how much it is, and I'm not concerned about what I get because he, he said I don't get anything. In other words, I'm not concerned about the value I get out of it, right? I'm just taking money from the taxpayers and spending it to that group. So I'm transferring it to one group of taxpayers to another group of taxpayers, and I don't get anything out of it, so I don't worry about it. I don't have any skin in the game. I don't, there's no benefit to me either way. He said that is how government works. So the writer says in California, we've just witnessed a particularly egregious example of how wasteful big government can be, yet rest assured, Similar fraud and incompetence is happening in your state as well. So Julie Sue, just watch for her name, S-U. She's now going to be one of the top people, if not the top person, in the Department of Labor after blowing $31 billion in 12 months. 
So we're up here in Northern California, and I'm involved with a church called Church of Glad Tidings. And um, so we've never closed since COVID started. We never missed one meeting. In fact, we've doubled, tripled, quadrupled some of our meetings. Yet that's not true in every part of California. Some parts of California are really gnarly. One night I was in a hotel room in Beijing, China, and we just smuggled hundreds of Bibles up there. And uh, a, a guy from the underground church came to meet us and to share with us a little bit about what's going on in China. So one of the people said, well, we heard, one of our people said, we heard all kinds of things about China. We heard that there's freedom of religion, and we heard there's persecution. We've heard this, we've heard that, we heard this. You know, they're sterilizing women. They're they're taking babies away. They're, you know, aborting babies. They're harvesting organs. And he said, well, you know, he said, China's a big place, big country. There's a billion people here. And he said, probably all of that is a t- is happening somewhere. And looking at California today, it reminded me of, of this, this gentleman's talk about China. Probably all of that's true. It's just some of it's happening somewhere. So in California, because we have constitutional sheriffs up here in Yuba Sutter counties, they have protected the churches. If they would have wanted to stay open, they protected our church, certainly the glad tidings. And uh, they protected our church and they wouldn't enforce uh, laws and, and mandates and things that the, the government of Sutter and Yuba County wanted to wanted to, to uh, enforce upon us. But that isn't true elsewhere. So in uh, just south of us in Santa Clara County, where Calvary Fellowship, uh, it's I, I think that may have been a, uh, uh, oh, uh, oh, I can't even remember the name of the, the denomination now. Anyway, I'll just the Calvary, Calvary Fellowship in San Jose. The pastor had been there. Mike McClure had been there for, uh, I think, 18 years. Santa Clara County is where San Jose is. So it says San Jose Calvary Fellowship, Mike McClure, and they want him to stop. He, he continued having meetings and no masks, no social distancing. And so the, uh, the county is suing McClure and Carson Athersby, Athersley, the youth pastor for $30,000 each for ignoring the mandates, not, not breaking a law, not molesting kids, not raping a woman, not, uh, you know, running over somebody, not stealing money, not, uh, not being a fraud, uh, but for not social distancing, just totally a made up arbitrary rule. Social distancing doesn't do anything to save your life. Zero. It does nothing. Uh, masks do nothing. It actually harms your health. All these things harm your health. And so they're, they're finding them. And, and additionally, the church itself still faces more than $1 million in administrative fines for multiple instances of hosting indoor services and refusing to mandate mask wearing over a period of months. So they just blew it off. They got fine after fine after fine. And now both pastors have personal fines of $30,000. Um, so, Anyway, that's happening just a couple uh, hours to the south. That's two and a half hours. So what ha- what was happening back there, ignorant Americans flew into Beijing and asked stupid questions, and, uh, and he gave them the answer that I'm giving people today. Wherever you are, you're getting your butt kicked because you have very weak, unconstitutional politicians in charge. We have that here. Our boards of supervisors are essentially communists. Now, they... They think they're conservative Republicans. 
but they don't behave like it. They may have a belief system, but when they sit down and that gavel hits the wood, they act like communists. They vote like communists. And they uh, they talk like communists. And so uh, the only thing that saves us is the constitutional sheriff. Now, I'm beating this because I'm telling you people, the easiest thing to change is your sheriff. That's just one man or woman. And if that person comes down hard, strong, and learns how to be a constitutional sheriff, and there's a bunch of them around the United States. In fact, at the Free and the Brave conference, we had a guy named Mark Lamb, L-A-M-B, who is a constitutional sheriff on the border of Mexico in Pinal County. That's P-I-N-A-L County, Mexico. I think it's one of the largest uh, square miles of county in the United States of America. And that's where the cartel comes through and all the traffic can come through. And he is a very strong, and we, we didn't, he doesn't have the time to travel a lot, but we brought him in by, um, I don't know whether it was live stream zoom or, or was recording, but he came and spoke for us. And so, uh, that's what we need. And, and so throughout the country, like, uh, Rodney Howard Brown down in Florida, they actually arrested Rodney Howard Brown at one point and shut down his church. Uh, so uh, Mike McClure from down here in San Jose says people are literally dying out here from suicide and alcoholism. Child abuse is up. Domestic violence is up. If churches aren't open, then we're not being good shepherds. When I originally said we are going to o- remain open, it was not about defying the governor. We are the we are the hospital. People need help from the church. It's interesting. All these church pastors. <laughs> oh, well, we're trying to keep everybody safe from disease. It's interesting. The Bible talks about the bring bring the sick on in. We'll pray for them, right? Anyway, that's what McClure's saying down here in San Jose. I thought, well, good for Mike McClure. I'm all for Mike McClure. So. We're going to see how this is all going to shake down. It, the way it shook down in Rodney Howard Brown down in Florida is they just backed off. And then there was also a Texan uh, situation that blew up, and I can't remember the, the people over there, but that kind of got settled down as well. So let me, uh, where are we here? I'm just looking at my time. We're about coming to the halfway point. Uh, let's see what else I can say to just take a couple of minutes because I got a big bunch, a big topic to cover here in a minute. All right. Okay, I'm going to see if we can get this in here, okay? So this is called Safety First. It's a friend of my my friend, Heidi Munoz Gleisner. He says, in, in regards to not letting kids go back to school and the whole COVID nonsense, he says, in life, safety is is never first. It can't be. If safety was first, you wouldn't leave your house. You wouldn't have got in that tin can and pushed it to 80 because you were running late or wanted a, or wanted a kick. You would never have jumped from the waterfall. You would never have stepped up to the batter's box. You would have never proposed. Life has uh, always ends in death. To be paralyzed by the thought of death is to not live life. The problem parents have right now is that they are figuring out the painful fact that they can't rely on the state to do education for them. That state funded education is not a right. 
that they can't force teachers to provide a service for them if the teachers are unwilling. Once the parents come to grips with that, they have a new problem. What to do with the kids during the workday? How to get the kids ready for life? This is a crash course. Get creative and ignore the effing government. They will threaten and control to keep you in their failed system. Just ignore them. Find others willing to just uh, find others that are willing to ignore them, ignore them as well. If enough of us ignore the authoritarians, they will lose their power. No one will fund the silly, their silly little jobs to teachers. You're going to have to sack up or are going to have to suck up or quit, get creative, figure it out. Shout at your, shout at your union rep. Life is a hundred percent fatal. The parents and children who fund and justify your job are going to keep moving. Keep up or become irrelevant or go private under or over the table. Your union is going to protect you right out of a job. Okay, we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. circle back if there's more I can share with you. I'll circle back with you if there's more to convey. Um, I'll have to just circle back with you. We can circle back. I'm I'm happy to circle back with you. I can circle back. I will have to circle back on that one. That's an excellent question. Oh, such an important question. Uh, We will circle back with you and we'll we'll circle back with you. It's an interesting question, but uh, we'll we'll circle back. I'm happy to circle back, but I'll have to circle back with you on it. It's a good question, but we'll circle back with you on this today. We will certainly circle back with you more directly. And there were some among us who checked to see whether we could be the ones to go defend him in the Senate because we would be honored to. And the word we got back from House Ethics is that we could not as sitting members of the You've House, already run that by go, go and defend him in the Senate. Okay, so you, you know this better, and your theory of, my, of this is exactly mine. Go to the low-hanging fruit. Would you then step down from Congress? Would you resign in order to defend the president on the way that you want to defend him? I love my district. I love representing them, but I view this cancellation of the Trump presidency and the Trump movement as one of the major risks to my people, both in my district and all throughout this great country. Absolutely. If the president called me and wanted me to go defend him on the floor of the Senate, that would be the top priority in my life. I would leave my house seat. I would leave my home. I would do anything I had to do to ensure that the greatest president in my lifetime, one of the greatest presidents our country has ever had, maybe the greatest president our country has ever had, got a full-throated defense that wasn't crouched down, that wasn't in fear of losing some moderate Republican senator, but that was worthy of the fight that he gave to the great people of this country for four years. They have no facts. They don't do any research. They don't learn, do any type of higher learning when it comes to what they believe. All they know is that what the, the media narrative tells them to believe, and that's all they parrot. The organization is fake. Like, I believe, I personally believe that the BLM movement is fake. It has nothing to do with advancing the lives of black people. They actually it, say it, they it, want to break up the family home. Exactly. So. Like, their main uh, goal is to break up the patriarchal, like, nuclear family. They want the men removed out of the family, which is what Democrats want also. Exactly. If, if BLM really cared about black lives, why would it be solely 
isolate it to incidents where a black life is taken at the hands of a white cop. That happens yeah. less than 1%. Come on. Now, wait, wait, wait. Now, I like to, like, equate this to it's the same as if I was in a horrific accident. I have a, a, a massive head wound. I have a leg fracture and a scratch on my finger. And here come the uh, first responders, and they want to tend to the scratch on my exactly. finger. And I'm telling you, exactly. what about the wound on my head? What about my fractured leg? Yeah. Come on. That's what the BLM movement is. Yeah. They're tending to the scratch on my finger, and that's not even what it's about. If you want to help us, let us tell you how you can help Yes. Don't yes. come in and tell us how you want to help us and don't tell me that I'm oppressed because I'm not oppressed. Nope. I'm a black American. Yep. I'm a proud black American. Yeah, I'm, proud, baby. I'm not oppressed. Yep. I am not oppressed. Yeah. I'm one of the freest persons on this world. Come on, kneel now. for no man. I only kneel to God. As you can see, as you over me except for God. As you can see, as you can see, black conservatism is the new punk rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We're the rebels. We're the rebels. You want to be cool? Come join our cause, baby. What are the five biggest issues facing blacks in America? Here's my list. Problem number five, the victim mentality. Nothing holds someone back more than seeing himself as a victim. Why? Because a victim is not responsible for his situation. Everything is someone else's fault. And the victim sees little chance of improving his life. How can he get ahead if someone is holding him back? All this makes the victim unhappy, frustrated, and angry. This is how too many blacks see themselves as victims, so much so that their victim status becomes their primary identity and their ruling ideology. I call it victimology. Unfortunately, many black churches preach this victimology. Many black parents pass it on to their children, inner city schools teach it to their students, and the black media reinforce it. Meanwhile, the NAACP and other black grievance groups fundraise on it. Problem number four, lack of diversity. Blacks repeatedly demand an honest dialogue or debate about race. But how can there ever be an honest dialogue about race between blacks and whites when there is virtually no honest dialogue between blacks and blacks? It's hypocritical. And if a black doesn't think whites are ultimately responsible for black people's problems, they're labeled a sellout, Uncle Tom, or race trader. As long as this type of groupthink exists, race reverence of the Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson type will continue to be celebrated while independent black thinkers such as professors Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams will be shunned. The honest race dialogue and debate that first has to happen is not between blacks and whites, but between blacks and blacks. We demand diversity from others, but need to practice it ourselves where it really matters in thought, opinion, and even political affiliation. Problem number three, urban terrorism. As just about everyone knows, but too few talk about publicly, in majority black cities, violent black-on-black -black crime is rampant. A Department of Justice study from 1980 through 2008 revealed that blacks accounted for almost half of the nation's homicide victims, 47.4%, and more than half of the offenders, 52.4%, all while being 13% of America's population. The Tuskegee Institute conducted a study of all known lynchings of blacks that occurred between 1882 through 1968. During this 86-year span, which is essentially the post-Civil War era up to the Civil Rights era, 3,446 blacks were reportedly lynched. Presently, black-on-black -black murder eclipses the number of blacks lynched over the course of 80 years, roughly every six months. Unbelievably, the culpability for this disproportionate amount of mayhem actually lies with a menacing 2 to 3% minority within the black populace. I call them urban terrorists. 
And since they're literally spawned from problem number two, the black community protects them. Problem number two, proliferation of baby mamas. The disintegration of the nuclear family has led to an astronomical increase of single mother households. According to the Moynihan Report, in 1965, nearly 25% of black children were born to unwed mothers. The report's author, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, said this was a disaster in the making. He was, of course, vilified by so-called black leaders and their progressive allies, but he was right. Today, the out-of-wedlock birth rate is nearly 75% and even higher in some urban areas. To be clear, baby daddies share this responsibility with baby mamas. Yet, while baby daddies are blamed and rarely shown compassion, baby mamas are rarely blamed and receive both compassion and support. This lopsided dynamic and the previously listed pathologies stem directly from the number one problem facing the black community. Problem number one, unquestioning allegiance to so-called progressive policies. Unwavering loyalty to progressive liberal policies is the primary reason these dire conditions persist. It both makes them possible and perpetuates them. It's no coincidence that progressivism is the common thread that binds predominantly black cities where single parent homes, failing schools, rampant poverty, and crime predominate. Look at cities like Detroit, Philadelphia, and Baltimore. They've been run by progressive Democrats for decades. If their liberal policies were at all effective, these cities should have become models of economic growth and prosperity. Instead, they're models of dysfunction. By fostering and exploiting the victim mentality, discouraging self-examination, subsidizing baby mamas, and making excuses for black thugs, so-called progressive policies don't alleviate the problems that afflict the black community, they aggravate those problems. You may have noticed that racism did not make the list. Why not? It's simple. There will be no solution to the problems afflicting black America until more blacks recognize that the issues plaguing our community are ultimately self-inflicted. Does racism exist? Sure, but there are other problems far more serious. And waiting until there are no more races will mean waiting and making excuses forever. I'm Talib Starks for Prager University. Mom said wait for the moment Gone home, went to bed While the other kids are still outside I don't feel time when I sleep So I snuggle up with my sheets And wait all right, so I buzzed through that segment and forgot to do the segment that Dinesh D'Souza, uh, his interview with Marjorie Taylor Greene. So without further ado, as somebody said, we're going to listen to it right now. And it's about 11 minutes, but it's very good. And you'll get a good feeling about this uh, wonderful lady, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a new congresswoman from Georgia. And she is making her voice heard First day in town. Here we go. Marie Taylor Green is a freshman, newly elected congresswoman from Georgia. And normally, it's very difficult as a newly elected congressperson to, to kind of get on the national stage. It takes years. Sometimes it takes a decade or two. But Marjorie Taylor Green has uh, found herself uh, in the laser-like national spotlight. The left has targeted her. They want to make her a symbol of the kind of kookiness, you may say, of the Trump or the MAGA movement. 
Uh, and they're trying to recruit the Republican leadership into chastising her with all these wild accusations. So I'm delighted to have Marjorie Taylor Greene herself right here on the podcast to talk about this and to fire back and to kind of tell us what she thinks, who she thinks the real kooks are. Uh, Marjorie, welcome to the program. Let's jump right into it. They're, they're saying that you believe that Jews attacked the state of California with a space laser. True or false? Well, I've never actually heard of Jewish space lasers, but some some reporter, some Democrat activist in the media wrote some article uh, saying that I said that. So that's absolutely false. What about the idea that 9-11 was an inside job? True or false? Uh, 9-11 happened. We all saw it happened. I remember crying that day uh, as we watched, what was it, nearly 3,000 Americans die and one of the worst Islamic terror attacks on our nation. Uh, so yes, 9-11 happened. That accusation is false. And 9-11 was done by Osama bin Laden and his cohort oh, of radical Muslims. Osama bin Laden, absolutely. 19 terrorists that hijacked airplanes. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. And that's all I've done is ask questions. Representative Cori Bush, uh, who's part of the Black Lives Matter movement, I believe she was part of the gang that accosted the McCloskey family right mm -hmm. outside their home. Uh, she uh, seemed to claim that you accosted her in some showdown. You released video that actually showed the opposite. She's the one who accosted you. That's right. Representative Cori Bush, she's another freshman member. She's a Marxist BLM activist that led the mob into the McCloskey's neighborhood where they broke open a private gate uh, and entered the neighborhood there, threatening the McCloskey's lives, threatening to burn down their home, threatening to kill their dog, threatening to rape Mrs. McCloskey and, and horrible things that, that Americans should never have to tolerate from other so-called Americans that, that have shouldn't have any problem with them. The McCloskey's did nothing wrong and Cori Bush led the mob in there. Well, she's still leading the mob here in the Democrat Party, introducing resolutions and harassing members like myself. I was walking through the tunnel, um, talking on a live video on my phone, talking to my district and people that support me. Uh, I didn't even know I'd passed her in the tunnel until I heard a loud screaming voice from behind me, screaming at me to put on my mask. Well, I happened to put on my mask and turn back to see who this person was and saw that it was Corey Bush screaming at me uh, to wear a mask. Um, but the interesting thing is, is it was the week literally right after uh, we had just gotten here to Congress and Nancy Pelosi had brought COVID positive members into the Capitol, had them travel here, spread COVID all through the Capitol uh, and they had tested positive. And so it was really silly for her to be screaming at me to put on a mask when she was nowhere near me, no, not within six feet um, and shouldn't shouldn't be in my space uh, attacking me that way anyway. So she now, got busted in the lie. She got caught. Now, the left has, uh, the Democrats have in Congress uh, a wide range of kooks. And I could go down name after name of people with extreme views who have said ridiculous things. Um, but they also have some people who are a little dangerous. And I'm thinking, for example, now about Eric Swalwell. Um, 
And the fact that it has been revealed that Eric Swalwell had the sexual relationship with a woman who was, in a sense, an espionage agent for the Chinese government, yet he sits on sensitive committees, nothing has been done to discipline him. What do you think of this ridiculous double standard in which you're being, oh, we got to keep her off the committees, and here you have a guy who could be slipping secrets to the Chinese for all we know, and he's sitting there solemnly and acting, and the media is acting as if everything is in order here, folks. That's right. It's the double standard. And this is the house of hypocrites. That's what I call the house of representatives, the house of hypocrites. You see, I'm an ordinary person. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. I've been a successful business owner for two decades now. I've been married almost 25 years and I have raised three amazing kids. I'm also a Christian and I'm also a very proud conservative. And I've never been arrested. I've never done drugs, but I have gotten a few speeding tickets. This grave sin that I am being crucified for in the public square is for reading about things, posting about them, and asking questions on Facebook in 2018. And they are outraged that I dare commit such a sin and use my freedom of speech and just ask questions about things that I had read about. But like you said, we have people like Eric Swalwell, who had a sexual relationship with a Chinese spy. And Nancy Pelosi would not dare allow him to be removed from the Intel Committee. We have Ilhan Omar, who married her brother to get him into the country. Nancy Pelosi would not dare allow Ilhan Omar to be removed from any of her committee assignments. We have Maxine Waters, who, for, who called for people to attack Trump supporters. But no one dares allow Maxine Waters to be removed from her committees. And the list goes on and on. Cori Bush the Marxist BLM activists that attacked the McCloskeys. Um, the McCloskeys have now lost their gun rights. They can't even own a gun to defend themselves. But Cori Bush herself sits here in Congress. She also didn't pay her taxes, but she's on the Judiciary Committee. But here we have the Republican leadership that won't stand up for me, will not step out and defend me or defend our party and defend others against the radical henchmen in the media who do all of the attacks for the Democrat party. It's, it's absolutely appalling. You see, my district has written letters to Kevin McCarthy telling him that he needs to defend me because they support me back home. No one at home has censured me. No one at home is calling for my removal in, from my district. But yet you look at Liz Cheney from Wyoming. Liz Cheney has been censured at home. Her state party censured her and she has the lowest approval rating. If there was an election today, she would lose. And the people at home who voted for her want her removed as chairwoman and they want someone else next cycle. You see, it's up to the people that vote us in. It's up to them to choose whether they send us back or not. It's not up to the DC swamp. It's not up to the bubble. It's not up to the political consultants. It's not up to CNN and the cable news networks that blog and post and put their little videos up on television. That's not who I'm here to represent. I'm here to represent my district and it's people over politicians. And you see it's the little bubble here in the district of communism that is completely disconnected from the rest of America. Now, wouldn't it be smarter, a smarter move for McCarthy and McConnell to basically say to the Democrats, hey, listen guys, you don't get to decide who are the Republican members on committees. 
you don't get to control who our team wants to field, in a sense, on the field. Uh, and if you think you can cancel out members of our committee, well, hey, you know what? There's a midterm election coming up in two years. If we take the House and the Senate, we're going to start kicking off all the people we want to on your committees. So this is a dirty game that both can play. Uh, wh why, are the, why is the Republican leadership, both McConnell and McCarthy, instead of going that way, uh, responding in sort of wildebeest fashion and saying, okay, listen, why don't we make a deal in which we kick Marjorie off one committee, but keep her on the other? Why are they showing this kind of weakness and allowing the left to make Republicans instruments of cancel culture? Well, everything you just said is the reason why people are outraged. And this is also what will cause Republicans to lose in 2022. Take Georgia, for example. 300,000 Republican voters stayed home and sent our two Republican senators to the slaughter because they were angry and they were fed up that was nothing was done in the state of Georgia to change the election on November 3rd. They ran the same election and they ran it on January 5th. People were furious. They didn't listen to the voters. The Secretary of State did nothing. And so you know what? Republican voters stayed home and said, I'm not participating. The same thing will happen in 2022 because of Republican leaders like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy that refuse, that are too weak to stand up against the mob that will never stop coming for Republicans. It's me this week, it'll be someone else next week and, the, and our, leader, our leaders are too weak to stand up against it. That is why Republican voters will not vote for them anymore. It's already all over social media and they're not paying attention. People are screaming to stand up for MTG to support me and protect me, but the Republican leaders are too busy, worried about what they might look like on television, worried about what those microphones are going to say when they're put in their face. And they're very much worried about big tech and big corporations and their donations that they're not getting right now. But hey. here's the truth. I have raised so much money and it's all small dollar donations. And that's the only kind of donations that I honestly care about. Wonderful people are sending in $5, $10, $100, and even much more uh, amazingly. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm not having to sit around and make phone calls and beg people to mail money to me. They're sending it in because they support me, because I am standing up to the cancel culture mob. I'm standing up to the Silicon Valley cartel, and I'm standing up to the Democrat witch hunt, the, the, the same one that we saw for four years on President Trump. And it's the witch hunt that the American people are fed up with. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that clip. Uh, before we get too much farther into this uh, fourth segment, I wanted to give some credit to some folks that uh, are making this show available to you. Uh, I can do some talking and putting together, but they actually help with some of the funding. And that is a huge thing for me. And one of them is uh, Monty Hecker, who has been a big push to keep the Gavin Newsom recall going up here in the Northern California area. Uh, Monty, as I speak every week, is, runs a very successful elite universal security uh, here uh, from Sacramento all the way up to the Oregon border. So if you have a need for security, whether it's personal, whether it's your home, business, farm, or you want to go to work. He can put you to work as a security official. And uh, some of those guys are non uh, unarmed and some are armed. 
and they do all kinds of work. They even have dispatchers, you know, just like any business. They have people that are in office, people are out of the office. Some of them are mechanics. Some of them do all kinds of things. So uh, Lee Universal Security, if you want to go to work or if you need some uh, somebody to help you keep what belongs to you. If you want to sign the petition for recall Gavin Newsom and you can't figure out where they are in Yuba Sutter counties, just go to 5548 Feather River Boulevard in Yuba County, just south of Marysville. And if you want to get a hold of him about a job uh, or if you want to get some uh, help with uh, a problem you might have with securing your business or your property, you can reach him at 530-749-0280, So if you want to pick up some petitions, you don't, maybe you don't have a printer, and he, but Monty has plenty of petitions. And, uh, or if you don't want to mail a petition in and you just want to drop it off at Monty's at uh, 5548 Feather River Boulevard, uh, you can do so. And uh, you can also get, if you, if you believe in getting a concealed weapon permit, uh, he'll help you get that as well. I don't believe in that, but many people do. You, you may get arrested if they catch you with a gun under the seat, and, uh, but that's contrary to the Constitution, but we haven't sorted. That's another battle to fight down the road. The other person uh, that's been a huge help to me over the many years uh, as, is Dave Greenitz with Greenitz Construction, and uh, he has built himself a reputation that I don't care what kind of uh, downturn in the economy happens there he's, he's I think he's going to stay busy and um, so if you want the best to do your work I like I like people to do quality work for me I don't like to pay people to do c minus work right I like them to do a good job and something I'm proud of I like to have things that are quality right I don't you know some people are into just spending fancy amounts of money money to strut their stuff and show that they got money. Other people just want quality things that last a long time, right? Whether it's a pair of shoes, it's not so showy, just good support, good shoes, good pants, what they wear well. And same thing with a bathroom or a kitchen. It just like lasts you a lifetime. You know, just last 20, 30, 40 years, probably as long as you want to have that house or or as long as you're alive on this earth, but it just works well, functions well, serves well. And when you want to sell the house, it like sells well. So if you want that, you green, it's construction can put it together, but you don't have to take my word for it. You can just go on his media sites and you can look at before and afters, check it out, say, Oh, I like that. Or that's good quality. I wouldn't chose that color, but I like, I like what they did there. Right. You can get the idea. 530-682-9602. 530-682-9602. He's the fastest guy in town at getting back to you if he doesn't answer the phone right away. He doesn't put you through a whole chain of command. But go to his, his uh, media sites. That's a Greenitz Construction, G-R-E-E-N, green like the color, E-T-Z, GreenitzConstruction.com. Or you could go to Dave Greenitz Construction Facebook page. Same, same. And uh, for all you that that uh, you newcomers, millennials, and later that don't feel comfortable uh, talking to people, you get kind of nervous and sweaty. Uh, you could just text him and uh, or whatever you know, send up smoke signals, electronic smoke signals, whatever you want to do. But he uh, he can 
take your message and uh, answer your questions. Okay, five three zero six eight two nine six zero two. The final one here, and then I got one more after the next break. The, right now, the plumbing doctor five three zero six seven one nine one one one. In fact, if you're a plumber and you're looking for a job, I was talking to Ted Holmes this week. In fact, he has two businesses. And I, I know he'll appreciate me telling you he's got liftoff floor removal that if you have a commercial building or a home that you want to pop all the floor up like like you have your your underlayment. But if you want to take the tile up or the carpet up or the glue down something up, they can do it really quick for you and get the floor ready for the new floor. So that's called liftoff floor removal. So they're looking for a new crew. So they're looking for employees. And if you... Uh, if if you want to uh, go to work, you can call Ted Holmes. And I'm just trying to see if I got his phone number here. Uh, let me see real quick because I don't have – I wasn't going to give a, his personal number out, but I will because he asked me to find him some workers. So he, has a, he wants to put together a crew for liftoff, at, and his number is 530-681-3037. 530-681-681-3037. So that's for liftoff, but he's also looking for a plumber or two. If you're a plumber and uh, you want to go to work for someone else, maybe you work for yourself and you don't want to be self-employed anymore, you just want to go put in a few hours, maybe even just work part-time, uh, he could use some extra plumbers. And so call him up if you want to do liftoff or you want to be a plumber or you have some skills at plumbing and... Uh, he will put you to work and uh, 681-3037. And they do primarily work in the uh, the plumbing work is in the Yuba Sutter area. With liftoff, they travel some. That depends on whether sometimes they do big old jobs, right, where supermarkets want them to pull out all the tile and they want to put down new flooring really quick. So uh, check that out. I got one other one that's a new one that's helped me quite a bit, and that's uh, um, but I need to get their phone number and uh, we'll do that after the break so and that's coming up right now and we will take uh we're coming into our fifth segment and we have so that's two segments left okay enjoy the break and we have a couple clips for you There are additional uh, layers to engage with the Chinese, but uh, we'll let you know when a call is, is happening and certainly have a readout for all of you as well. It sounds a lot like the strategy is not to talk to him at this time because you're talking about speaking to allies and, and making other calls first. Is uh, Have they requested a, a call? I don't have anything more for you. I think I don't appreciate the like putting words in my mouth. That wasn't what my effort was. What I was conveying is what our strategy is here. They're really showing themselves to do really well. Come on, man. I don't even know how I learned how to do my own makeup because my mom trained me to be a chola. <laughs> she did. Because, ladies, you know how when you're first allowed to wear makeup, your mom will give you, like, your first lipstick or your first blush? My mom gave me a brown lip liner and some chapstick. <laughs> and one can of Aquanet. 
That is a chola starter kit. <laughs> and this is how you know if you're talking to a chola or not. Like, if you're not quite sure, like she kind of has the sharpie eyebrows, <laughs> but you're in Los Gatos, so that doesn't make no sense. <laughs> Like, if you're talking to a girl and she sounds like this, like, Psh, you don't even gnaw. Psh, you don't even gnaw. Like, no matter what you're talking about, hey, is it cold outside? Psh, you don't even gnaw. It's like the more uneducated you sound, the more chola you are. That's why there's always some chola on the radio trying to get you to go back to community college. Yeah, what's up? Are you like me and dropped out of high school and got your GED? <laughs> Welcome to San Jose City Community Junior Evergreen College. <laughs> where we have nighttime classes and weekend classes if you don't got no babysitter. <laughs> All you gotta do is call 1-800-123-456-7819. Right, because nobody educated talks like that. You don't go to your doctor and your doctor's like, yeah, I think it's like a rash maybe. <laughs> Psh, I don't even know. <laughs> and you know how he had stomach ache? He thought it was like real bad cramps. Girl, it is not what you think. <laughs> Pero it's a boy. <laughs> Okay, welcome back. Uh, we have two segments left, 20 minutes each. So here we go. <laughs> the one the one last person I, I wanted to mention that's helped me a lot is uh, she's kind of adopted me, actually. And uh, she runs North Valley Paralegal, uh, Nellie Garcia. <clears throat> and it's becoming one of the bigger uh, paralegal offices in the community, Yuba Sutter area. And they moved moved over to 751 Sutter Street, I don't know, about a year ago, I guess, right, right at the base of the 10th Street Bridge, R really easy to get to from either county, either city, 751 Sutter Street, and uh, North Valley Paralegal's phone number is 751-9289, 751-9289. And I've had them do work for me before. They do excellent work. They're very honest people. And... Um, as someone said, honest as the day is long. So uh, they're, they're, she comes from good family, they're good people. She's very bright, <clears throat> and she's well-respected by the court system in the, the two counties. So if you, you know, if you want any type of legal work done and you don't want to pay the fees that you have to pay an attorney, uh, you can use her and save a lot of money. And maybe even get it done faster. So, uh, so that's North Valley Paralegal in uh, Yuba City. Okay, so I want to talk about the. Uh, there was a group of guys 
so what what happened when Trump got elected? Let me start out this way. Trump got elected, and uh, he wasn't liked by either of the parties, and it that either party was this ongoing group of people that benefited off the corruption of our government system ended up being called the deep state. That deep state was just not a blue deep state, but it was a blue and red deep state. And so that deep state was in the in the process of selling out to the Chinese and to totalitarian governments and to becoming a socialist country. They did no longer believed in the Constitution. They no longer followed the Constitution. That's why you don't see it taught in the public schools anymore. There's many, 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 many examples that I don't have time to go through uh, here today. But the deep state on both sides of the aisle, uh, they would have chosen anyone to run for president, even if they lost, than Trump. And in fact, the deep state Republicans were fine with Hillary Clinton. If they, if they could win, they would win, but they, were, they, were more, they would rather have Hillary Clinton win than Trump the deep state Republicans, including a guy named Karl Rove. You remember Karl Rove? He became kind of the the guru or strategician for George Bush, the last Bush to win the presidency, okay? And Karl Rove, I thought, was, oh, yeah, Karl Rove, George Bush, a Christian guy. He'd be an honest guy. He'll be a guy that do this, you know, stand up for righteousness, all that stuff. He turned out to be a bitter disappointment, George Bush. And Karl Rove actually turned out to be a very liberal guy. He wasn't really a conservative. So what happened was that that different groups of, quote, unquote, they call themselves R's or Republicans, but really they're just anti-Trumpers and, and they're just deep staters. And there's not much different in the way they look at life from the liberals, right? So Karl Rove is one of them, but there's a group of them that got together and they called themselves the Lincoln Project, okay? So there, there was, and all these guys would go on television, and they would just, just get nasty with Trump, just call him everything. One of them was the wife, was the husband of Kellyanne Conway. George Conway is his name. He's an attorney. Kellyanne Conway came in during the campaign for Trump partway through. She was a... Um, uh, she was a trained attorney, but she got into public relations and uh, poll casting and stuff like that and, and running campaigns. And she took over his campaign and actually was considered the uh, strategician to win the campaign and, and win the presidency. So she stayed with uh, Trump almost through to the end before she stepped down because of family issues with her husband, George Conway. So George Conway wanted a position in the government and, uh, and he was he he was in consideration for a couple different positions uh, in the legal end of the Trump of the Trump uh, cabinet or presidency, whatever you want to call it. And uh, but he he was passed over for other people, and uh, he became embittered, and like a, a jilted a woman, a woman who uh, wanted to marry a man, and he. He didn't want to marry her, so she becomes embittered. George Conway became embittered at Trump, and, and nothing Trump did was right. That, uh, and so he became uh, a foe of Trump's while his wife was a big ally of Trump's, Kellyanne Conway. And George Conway linked up with some other guys, a guy named Rick Wilson, who you saw him on television constantly just mocking Trump and just being lewd and rude 
He's a very rude guy. And uh, so a number of these guys formed, along with a guy named John Weaver, formed the uh, the Lincoln Group. And their sole goal was to bring down the president. That was it. And they didn't care whether a Republican got elected or not. They were going to bring down the president. So it was, uh, it was uh, let me see. So anyway, John Weaver was the primary guy who administrated it, but Conway and Wilson, it seemed like there was a fourth guy that was a key guy in there. So uh, so all along, there's been this thing bubbling up from the surface. It's like oil that's trying to bubble out of the ground, and it's been the whole uh, sexual perversion thing. So if you remember Anthony Weiner, uh, who was a congressman in New York, and he got caught sending pictures of his genitalia to young women, and he was a married man, and his laptop ended up getting uh, being taken by the New York City police, and they found all kinds of pedophilia on it, and it was so toxic that uh, the deep state got a hold of it, and, and they, they wanted to prosecute him right away. They wanted to arrest and prosecute him, but they uh, they covered it up. The FBI covered it up, and so nothing came of it. But constantly, the Podesta brothers, in fact, uh, one of the Podesta brothers, his house is laden, the walls are laden with artwork showing uh, young children naked in sexual poses. Now, this is unbelievable that it just keeps getting ignored. And so you have the Epstein, who has the island where the politicians are flying down there and having sex with these young kids that have been abducted. Um, you have the Podesta brothers that are involved in pedophilia. In fact, the one, um, has all this artwork. I've seen photos. I mean, it's been, it's right out in the open. I mean, it's not like, uh, somebody snuck in there. He, he was proud of these photos and we have all kinds of witchcraft. We have Luciferians. We have the, uh, Freemasons behind all this global, uh, order stuff. And, uh, so you have Satanists, Freemasons are Satanists. We have pedophilia, which is part of Satanism. We have snuff crimes, killing children. We have murders. They killed Seth Rich that took, took emails out of the Democrat uh, computers. Uh, so you have all this going on and, uh, and certainly the conservatives so-called conservative Republicans are not exempt from it. So you have, you know, a few years ago, we have the infidelity by variety of, of a con- congressman, uh, and I just spoke about Kevin McCarthy with uh, Renee Elmers. So you have on and on perversion, weird stuff, but usually when the Republicans get caught with doing perverted stuff, they get they have to quit, but the liberals do not. Now, Anthony Weiner, he was a congressman, Democrat from New York. He, he quit, stepped down. But uh, so now what we have is on the Lincoln Project, we have we have a, a molester, we have a pedo- pedophile, and that's John Weaver. And so uh, it's now come out in the media, and and the the what I uh, what I'm fascinated by is these guys that just spewed hate and fire and brimstone on Trump. Anything he did, they mocked it. And that's George Conway, that's Kellyanne Conway's husband, and Rick Wilson just went after. They were constantly on the news. Now they say they didn't even know who John Weaver was. Even though he was a partner in setting up the Lincoln Project, they're being interviewed, 
And so they get interviewed by a guy named uh, on CNN uh, by Anderson Cooper. Now, Anderson Cooper is a homosexual. Uh, it's 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 not a secret. I mean, he's he's proud of it and and good for him. It's like, hey, everybody live their life. I'm, I don't hate Anderson Cooper. Uh, I wouldn't I don't like to watch him. I don't even have a television. But Anderson Cooper, he interviews uh, these guys and they don't even get asked the question about John Weaver. John Weaver has 20, at least over 20 uh, young men have made statements uh, against John Weaver soliciting them uh, in, in the t- through technology and, and making lewd comments and suggesting comments and wanting to get together with them and all that kind of stuff. So it all finally comes out. And these guys totally deny even knowing this guy. Except they just kind of knew him, talked to him a couple times. This is the Lincoln Project. They organized and they constructed a strategy to take down the President of the United States. We're talking about Rick Wilson, George Conaway, and John Weaver. And Weaver gets outed as a guy messing with boys. Now, oh, you think, oh, I wonder how long he's doing that, right? Right. Did it just come out? Did it just like surface? And these guys didn't know anything about it. Well, it's interesting that Karl Rove, Mr. Republican, right? Uh, it says in this article, in MSNBC article, which this is the deep state media, right? Veteran Republican strategist Karl Rove on Monday said he has known about Lincoln Project co-founder John Weaver's pattern of behavior. You see all these euphemisms? If your kid was molested by somebody like John Weaver, would you call it a pattern of behavior? No, you'd go kill the guy, wouldn't you? So the CMS, you think they would talk like this about any Republican? It's It's unbelievable. So John Weaver's pattern of behavior. So Karl Rove, let's see, I forgot to set my timer. Let me see where we are here. I'll just guesstimate it. Okay. So veteran Republican strategist Karl Rove on Monday said he has known about, I want you to listen to this. He has known about Lincoln Project co-founder John Weaver's pattern of behavior since, when do you think? So it's 2021, 2020, 2019. 2018, 2017, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 11, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 1990, 1999, 8, 98, 97, 90. How about 95, 94, 93? Carl Rove said he has known about John Weaver's pattern of behavior. This is a, is John, is Mr. Rove a Christian? Is he a conservative? Does he have a problem with pedophilia? Paul, Carl Rove Gives me the heebie-jeebies. He looks like the doughboy on Pil- the Pillsbury doughboy. I don't know whether the guy's even married, whether he's had kids. I don't know whether he's sexually active. I don't know what he's up to. He says he's known about John Weaver's pattern of behavior since 1988. Really? And you just thought, oh, no need to mention it to anybody. Molesting kids, hitting up children, teenagers. We're not talking about adult men having sex with adult men. Usually adult homosexual men like John Weaver's age, he's probably 60. 
hit on young boys because uh, they feel like they ain't got that love and feeling no more, and they want that virility, that strong virility, right? And they jump them into homosexual ways. Karl Rove admitted he referred to it as a pattern, John Weaver's pattern of behavior. You knew he was actually hitting up boys, Carl, since 1980 and 8. He's, he's accused of sending unwanted sexually explicit merit messages to nearly two dozen young men. So Martha McCallum, these are not conservative uh, journalists. Oh, brother, now my, I lost my page. Hold on here. Martha McCallum says, quote, The Lincoln Project was founded primarily basically to be a very strong anti-Trump organization and to pay for social media anti-Trump messages. And John Weaver was one of the people who ran it. He has a, a lot of accusations from young men who call him a sexual predator. Carl Rove, you knew he was a sexual predator? Shame on you, dude. I thought you were conservative. I thought you would stand up for morality. I thought that's what good conservatives supposed to do. So Martha McCallum says to Carl, you mentioned this in 2004 that this was a concern of you, concern of yours. This isn't something anybody wants to be vindicated on, but it turns out you were right, Carl. Whoa. So then Carl says, well, I didn't really mention it in 2004. It was printed in an Atlantic article by Joshua Green. I've actually known about this pattern of behavior since 1980 and eight and never said a thing. What would you think about somebody who knew all about some, maybe a baseball coach that your kid played under and knew for 20 years, right? 40, actually it's almost 40 years. Carl knew this guy was a pedophile and didn't say a thing about it. What would you think about it? And your boy got molested. What a low-down, criminal, slimeball Carl Rove is. He's as bad as Weaver. Pervert. I've known about this pattern of behavior since 1988. He says right on MSNBC to Martha McCallum. All I want to say is that the 21 statements from the 21 young men who talked about how they've been approached by Mr. Weaver, those statements speak for for itself. He doesn't even know how to speak. I don't have anything else to add to it. It's a sad, sad chapter. Let me tell you what's the worst chapter of all here. Not Mr. Weaver. Not Mr. Weaver. Not Mr. Weaver. It's Carl Rove who knew something and didn't do one thing about it. That's what's wrong with our country. People are so big bunch of pussies, they won't even stand up for right things. Because, oh, well, he'll... I may not get the raise. I may not get a promotion. They may not like me. They may shun me. They may, I may lose my boyfriend or girlfriend. They may, they may harass my children. What's happened to America, people? What's happened to our country? We have a guy who was a strategist for the president of the United States, George Bush, who knew a pedophile was actively molesting young boys, and he knew it from 1988 to, to 1988 to 1998 to 2008. 
all the way up to 2021, and he didn't even bring it up. What kind of people are these? These people are perverts. They're exactly what Trump said. They're awful people. They're ripoffs. They're perverts. They're doing satanic rituals. They're molesting people. They're stealing from people. They're selling the country out, people. Pay attention. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Holy mackerel. It's unbelievable. When I read this, it just made me sick to my stomach. Sick. And and when they interview big, tough George Conway, who harassed his wife unmercifully, and I'm surprised she's even still married to the guy. George Conway and Rick Wilson, they just they just were just sissies, just pussies, sissies, sick, loser-type people. Where is the character? I don't care how much education you are. What about honesty? What about standing up for the right things, protecting our youth, standing up for females if you're a male, and standing up for their honor? What, what's up anyway? Anderson Cooper, do you do you understand Anderson Cooper not asking them hard questions? The guy is a homosexual. He screws men in the butt. Can you get it right? You, it's okay, right? It's like endorsed in our public school system now, a righteous school system. I just saw a video of these Portland homosexual educators proud of the bathrooms they've now created where boys and girls can go in there together and and go and sit right in the toilets next to each other and get right up and, and wash up and shower and right next to each other. And they're just so proud that they've now advanced. You know something, people? That is just downright screwy perversion. Anderson, po- Anderson Cooper did not have the courage. He just... he. <laughs> He couldn't even utter the word harassment about Weaver's activity. You know why? Because guys like Anderson Cooper prey upon young men like this because they don't want old farts anymore, right? Just so sickening. It's just totally sick. Anderson Cooper picks. I got a picture right on my computer. He's looking all stern and concerned about Conway sitting in his office in his home, just licking his wounds after just threat like Mr. Self-Righteous George Conway thrashing Donald Trump about every single thing he did. And then he's got a pervert as a partner, as a business partner. Yeah, Lincoln Project. Oh, one one other guy, Steve Schmidt, Rick Wilson, George Conway, John Wee. They're probably all perverts, all four of them, when it comes out. Oh, we didn't. Oh, well, oh, well, I had no. Oh, this is a very sad day. What's so sad about it? What, he got caught? Was that the sad part about it? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. The Lincoln Project was previously mum after Weaver admitted guilt last month. A spokesman for the anti-Trump group simply told Axios, that's a media outlet at the time, John's statement speaks for itself. How about you guys? Why don't you guys do some speaking for yourself? (laughs) Just unbelievable, unbelievable. All right, we're going to take a break. I think I ran over here, but I got one more segment to do. I lost track of my time. I need to get my timer get, get started right. Hold on. 
thanks for meeting with me today. There's some new terms on the construction site that you need to learn. Here are the ones that we cannot say anymore, so I need to make the list real quick for you. Man doors are out. Studs, especially in reference to king or jack studs, are out. Mailboxes, out. Any reference to female or male connectors, completely gone. On that list, no more cock, no more nuts, no more nipples. And you might as well be careful about talking about carpet too, because we don't want any confusion there. Man lifts are out. I'll give you a complete list here of everything you need to know. And uh, by the way, all doors need to swing both ways. Uh, getting people back to work will be uh, his top priority. You stone XL, the decision uh, yesterday from the president. What, what would you say to those who have lost their job or will lost their job as a result of that decision? What, what would the message from the president and the White House be? The message of the president and the White House would be that he is uh, committed. His record will show shows the American people that he's committed to uh, clean energy jobs, uh, to jobs that are not only good high-paying jobs, uh, union jobs, uh, but ones that are also good for our environment. He thinks it's possible to do both. Uh, he led an effort uh, when he was the vice president uh, to put millions of people to work uh, with those both of those priorities in mind, and he will continue to do that as president. Uh, but he had opposed the Keystone Pipeline back in 2013 uh, when it was, uh, when, when there was a consideration of the permit or Sorry, I don't think it was 2013. I think it was a little bit after that. Uh, and he's been consistent in his view, and he was delivering on a promise he made to the American public during the campaign. Um, go ahead all the way in the back. They're really showing themselves to do really well. Come on, man. This past Thursday was the Great American Smokeout, a day that everyone in America was encouraged to stop smoking cigarettes for a 24-hour period. Here to comment further is Update Health correspondent Roseanne Rosanna Dana. Here we go. We're at our uh, a last segment, 20-minute segment, and I want to talk some about the education system and specifically an article that you should look up and read. It's, it's a little long, but it's uh, heavy on truth, like it's jam-packed full of shocking truth. And uh, I don't have time to read it or, or even dodge through it. I'm going to pick up some of the summary points. It shows the fraud of COVID. It shows the fraud of pre PCR tests. It shows the fraud of the union. It shows the fraud of uh, Newsom. And uh, it's called a group called the Children's Health Defense Fund. You should remember that. It's it's uh, was one of the, the figureheads. He may have started it. Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, the son of Robert Kennedy, uh, 
who was the brother of John F. Kennedy, the president. So Bobby Kennedy today uh, is probably in his late 60s. And he is, uh, so that would make John Kennedy his uncle. And so both John Kennedy and his dad were were assassinated. You remember that? So uh, Bobby Kennedy is an attorney, and he's he started off as a uh, a major uh, environmentalist attorney, focusing on water purity issues. But during the uh, his study of water and the water purity issues, he uh, they kept running up with the product uh, a problem with a product called mercury that mercury in the fish, mercury in the water, and uh, and where did that mercury come from and all that kind of stuff. And then they began to learn uh, about that mercury was being put in vaccines. And, and uh, here it's one thing to try to keep mercury out of our food, out of our water, out of our fish, uh, so it doesn't get in our body and cause us problems. So then we turn around and we have scientists putting mercury in vaccines. So Bobby Kennedy then began working on issues with children and and looking at what is in these vaccines these days. Now it's interesting. I was listening to a I believe her name is Dr. Merritt. She's she didn't just get a doctor a degree to be a medical doctor. She's got four or five degrees on top of that. Way out there. Very smart woman. Very enlightening talk and uh so she was talking to this interviewer and she was saying you know the reason we like when i was a youngster i got a smallpox vaccination and and then when polio uh people were getting sick with polio all the time and being dying or getting uh paralyzed and uh crippled and so one time they said hey we're all going to go down the courthouse and they gave us little sugar cubes like you used to get in the restaurants and uh they uh in that sugar cube was some chemical, which was a polio vaccine. And we just put it in our mouth and it melted and we went on about our day. And so Merritt said back in the day when we came up with those initial vaccines, polio and um, smallpox, we did that because there was not, there were not any drugs, medicines that they could give somebody that had polio that would help them. And same with smallpox. So they came up with the concept of a vaccine and they tested, 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 tested until they tested on animals and tested on humans. And then they finally used it and it worked pretty good. And it, it pretty much snuffed out polio and, and, uh, uh, smallpox. So now the pharmaceutical industry, you can understand if you're going to vaccinate the whole world, which is over 7 billion people, you can make a lot of money, Right. So now that the it's it's to the it's the profitability and to the benefit and to the reward of the of the vaccine pharmaceutical industry to sell us a lot of vaccines. So now a lot of people are saying that autism is connected to what's in those vaccines. And back in the day when I grew up, you got a couple of vaccines. Nowadays they say they got over eighty vaccines for a baby. It's unbelievable. So, and they're saying some of these vaccines are given multiple vaccines at the same time. Boom, 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 boom. They just shoot them up. And uh, so there's a, uh, there's an anti-vax movement. That doesn't mean everybody hates every vaccine. It's just like, hey, too much, too much, too much, too much. And so Bobby Kennedy became aware of this and began to study and hire not only attorneys, but hire medical professionals to really look into the details and understood what's in those vaccines and how, why are we giving them and how are we giving them? And is it necessary? Da, da, da. So, um, 
so he started this group, Children's Health Defense Organization, or Defense Fund, Children's Health Defense. If you Google this, Children's Health Defense hyphen, California chapter sends letter to all California superintendents regarding medical ethics, emergency use products, volunteer testing, and vaccine safety. Now, if you just Google Children's Health Defense Fund, California letter to schools, you're going to get it, right? It's a fantastic letter, amazing letter, and it has all, you know how scholarly studies have footnotes, footnotes at the bottom? Uh, uh, so this has everything. It's, it's amazing. And, and I've watched some of their videos. They have great videos on their website. You got to go to their website, children's health defense organization or something like that. Okay. So, uh, I'll tell, I, I may have it at the end of the letter. I have the whole letter here, but I'm not, I don't have time to go to it. It's very detailed. It's scholarly. It is not boring. Um, so, I'm just trying to get to the bottom and get the right term for you, but I'm having trouble pulling it up really quick here. Uh, It just says children's health defense. It'll come up. Okay. Children's health defense. So I want to read the summary by the attorney. The attorney's name is Alex, A-L-I-X, Mayer. He's an MBA president, board director, uh, children's health defense, California chapter, um, Alex Mayer, he writes this, or he's the one who signs this. Okay. So I'm just going to read you a summary statement. Uh, sorry, I need to look up here. Um, I'm just going to read the summary statement. Then I'll try to, there's a couple acronyms I was going to try to tell you, but it's, it's in the body of the, the letter, but it's, it's like a couple feet long. And I don't have time to go up there and look it up. Okay. So he says in summary, mandating EUA products. Those are experimental drugs. EUA products. He says in summary, Alex, the attorney, the MBA attorney says in summary, mandating EUA products, EUA products, experimental, unapproved drugs is illegal. That is exactly what the vaccine is. And the, and the PCR test, they stick up your nose or stick in your butt. Mandates do not allow for informed consent, which is spelled out clearly in the California Health and Safety Code, and they give all the codes, right? In fact, the Nuremberg rules after the prosecution of the, the Nazis who experimented on people, it mandated that in healthcare that informed consent is always uh, this, the top of the not top of the, uh, top notch care informed consent. That's why they, when you go in and get surgery, they're constantly telling you, now you understand we're going to do this and this, and do you agree with that? And this and that, right? So they're talking about informed consent rules. It says relying on the RT PCR, that's the test or any other investigational testing product will lead to overdiagnosis and avoidable harms to many students and staff. This is a letter that was sent. This is a conclusion to the letter that was sent to every superintendent in the state of California, like 1100 or something. Overdiagnosis and avoidable harms to many students and staff. You remember they're talking about mandating vaccines for teachers or mandating vaccines for students or mandating masks or mandating PCR tests. They cannot do that, people. 
You need to learn the rules. They talk about avoidable harms to many students and staff, including a discriminatory system where those who who test negative can move freely while those who do not wish to be tested or those who test positive, even false positives are denied their rights to an education and to work. Those who are forced to learn remotely do not have equal access to schooling. Now I will also say those who are forced to watch a supervisor's or a council meeting do not have equal access either, and their constitutional rights are being violated by both city councils and boards of supervisors. They goes on to say, that's my additional edit, talking about another level of government misappropriation. Remote learning disadvantages the poor. Some may not have a fast internet connection. And students may not have a quiet room with a computer to learn away from family distractions and household and neighbor, n- neighborhood noise. Administering to students and staff a vaccine with known safety issues is reckless and will cause injury and death for which school districts and the CDE, that's the uh, school district, California Department of Education, what that is, CDE, will be liable. You understand that? So the federal government, (laughs) excuse me, the pharmaceutical companies have it set up now, so they are not liable for screwing up vaccines. Did you know that? If you didn't, I can't, I don't have time to explain it. You can Google it. They, They can kill you, maim you, cripple you. They do not have to pay you one nickel. You cannot take them to court and sue them. You have to go and sue the federal government. In this case, and many times they don't, will never settle until you, after you're dead. My friend Rick Carlson, who got Agent Orange in Vietnam, came home with can- got cancer right away, died in four months. His, his wife asked, asked for some kind of remediation because of Agent Orange. They said, oh, Agent Orange didn't do anything. It was long after these veterans die that they start admitting it because they're not going to pay out. <clears throat> Being so he's saying Alex Mayer is saying that the school districts and the California Department of Education are going to be liable. They're going to be liable for discrimination. They're going to be liable for uh, people getting hurt, disease, dying. They're going to be liable for uh, not allowing people access to education. He, then he goes on and says this being in the unenviable position of defending an illegal program. That's an illegal vaccination program in a court of law, would certainly prove to be a distraction from your important work. It is our sincere hope that your district would never seriously consider such mandates. We respect your position and fully appreciate your duty to educate children safely. Children's Health Defense California Chapter will follow up with you to ensure you understand both the law and the science. We aim to help you make the right decision for the children of California. Please contact us at, it gives us an email or the phone number, should you want more information. Now, I was in the dentist chair earlier today, and uh, they were polishing my teeth and trying to keep my teeth in my gums and so I don't have to get a new set of chompers before I pass into eternity and they give me a new set anyway. So my dent, my dental hygienist 
we're talking away. She knows my life. We've, we've been together for a number of years as partners in keeping me running. And so she says to me, what do you think about this whole COVID thing, vaccine? And, I, and we talked about it. Now, I won't get into the details here, but she says, I said, I feel real bad that people are taking the vaccine and they don't know what's putting them in, putting in their body and um, they're going to die. And uh, so, uh, in fact, I was just talking to somebody on the phone before I got, came on the, uh, the show here today. And I noticed a guy that I used to watch play baseball, Hank Aaron, Henry Aaron, who broke Lou Gehrig's uh, home run record, Henry Aaron, Hank Aaron. And I thought, oh, he died. But, you know, he was in his 80s. And I thought, well, everybody has their time. But then I read in this article that Hank Aaron died after taking the COVID vaccine. He did not die of COVID. He died of the vaccine. He got the vaccine and dropped dead. You think, oh, well, you know, he's 80 years old. Well, let's see. If somebody takes the vaccine and drops dead, how many excuses you're going to put out there? Mr. Vaccine experts out there. So the fact is people are dropping dead left and right on this vaccine. So I'm telling, we're talking, I'm talking to the uh, dental hygienist because I've seen a lot of my friends that work at the ER and at the fire department just think, oh, yeah, I got the vaccine and hallelujah, I got a little sticker on my forehead and I'm going to get the second one and hallelujah, I'm like buff and everything. And I know how to, now they're training me how to vaccinate other people. And I thought, are you guys crazy? That's how I feel about it, right? Because this thing is junk. This is this vaccine's going to kill you in the end. It's going to kill you. And it is not you, they they did not do testing on this vaccine. It's experimental, and they're using humans as guinea pigs. So Dr. Merritt says. Back in the day, on polio, and we didn't have any medication for those things to help people. But today we have all kinds of medication for COVID. COVID's been around for generations, she says. And she said, we have hydroxychloroquine. We have ivermectin. We have, I I can't remember the other ones. I can't, I don't say them enough to remember how to say them, but they're they're anti-inflammatories and stuff. She said, this is not a big deal. No one needed to die. No one needed to go to the hospital. No one needed to be on a ventilator. So when you have a, a drug, she said, you don't need a vaccine. You create vaccines because we can't figure out medications to give people to counteract the problem. So if you can give a little bit of the disease in a dead form, then it creates antibodies in your system that, that when they recognize more of that foreign thing coming into your system, trying to take over a live form of smallpox or a live form of something, something that really could take your life then the antibodies take care of that, right? Your immune system. We have been lied to and sucker punched so repeatedly, people are punch drunk on bad information from people like Tony Fauci who needs to be in jail. Deborah Burks needs to go to jail. Bill Gates needs to go to jail, people. These people are keeping out of jail because they have powerful control and they had so much power, they ran the president out of a second term when he went one by a landslide. You don't think that's power? That is power, people. And they are lying to you, and they don't even they don't care about your health. 
That's why I say Dr. Lou does not care about your health locally when she tells you to wear a mask. Dr. Fauci actually came out. The guy is, he must be taking LSD. He said, wear two masks. Why don't we wear 40 masks, right? Holy God, it's unbelievable. Hank Aaron died 18 days after receiving his first of two experimental COVID vaccines. So I'm talking to the, the, the hygiene gal, right? Ashley. She's unbelievable. She, she's a great practitioner. I, anyway, I, I can't get off and tell what a great job she does in, in, in a number of ways. Anyway, so she said, Lou, do you know how many people in this office dental office like they got all places like humming man it's like a factory over there so how many people took the vaccine i said i have no idea i i don't have a clue because i'm thinking man i i know a lot of people taking that stinking vaccine that i think i thought you were bright i thought you were sharp did you not read the label she said we have 22 employees here she said only one took the vaccine isn't that you know and i was reading in some paper I can't remember which one it was that they had a vaccine day at, for the Los Angeles fire department, city of Los Angeles. Right. So tip almost started trauma intervention, almost started down there in Los Angeles. So it actually started, but then there were problems and it was the city, not, not tip. There are a lot of firefighters. There's thousands of firefighters in LA folks, 40% on the day they were supposed to show up, if you wanted to get the vaccine, they didn't come. And I don't know why they were threatened that they're going to lose their job, but I'm telling you, it's against the law. I've heard people say, I got to take the vaccine. You don't got to take no vaccine, people. I'm telling you, it's all a big sham, a bluff, a fraud. You don't need to stay quarantined. Dr. Kukalu is bullshit. I'm telling you that you should never, you know, the days of, Paying attention to your doctor, trusting your doctor are over. There's so many lies going on out there. I heard somebody the other day, oh, well, you know, my somebody told me, I was just talking to somebody that works for a fire department. She said, well, she said, my, my brother's a doctor or my, my, my grandpa's a doctor or so-and-so's a doctor, and they all said, oh, the vaccine's just fine. Listen, people, that's freaky. That is totally freaky. You're better off buying LSD. I could go over the fence right here, right behind my house. I see gals shoot up in their neck with heroin right over, right through my fence, right in downtown Marysville. I would, I would trust that heroin before I'd go to take that vaccine. You take that vaccine, you're off your crock and rocker. I'm telling you, they're messing with your RNA and DNA, and they're jerking your, uh, your immune system. And, and, and what Dr. Merritt says, it ain't the initial shot that's going to get you. It's not the initial COVID that's going to get you. It's going to be something down the road. And, it, and, and that it's going to kill you because they, they monkeyed with your immune system. My, my clock just says I'm, I'm out of time. So I think I am out of time. So uh, that's it for this week. Uh, there's a big go and read, read the article. It will blow your mind. This chill. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm sending a copy to all the supervisors. This children's defense fund. <clears throat> I, you know, I, you know what I'm hoping for? I hope that the, that somebody that there, somebody's going to get really damaged here. And I hope they have the backbone to sue the hell out of these supervisors and city council people and the, and the Sutter County and the 
for medical malpractice. I hope they do because these people are not doing their own homework and they are, you know, it's one thing if Matt Conant of the board of supervisors wants to shoot his kids in the arm with that vaccine, but if he wants to remain stupid on that board and act like, like when he shut down a thousand businesses and told me over the phone, I asked him, did you get a second opinion? No, I just believe what they told me. Listen, people, that's exactly what the Nazi troops said to justify them killing and shooting Jews left and right, gas and Jews. That is the stupidest, lamest, most corrupt response you can give. If you're going to be on the board of supervisors, you're going to be in the city council, you damn well sure do. You better do your you better read your packet and you better dig a little deeper and look at the research and not just believe what you're being told by medical people. Oh, well, the attorney told me that. Oh, well, the doctor told me. Listen, people, uh, that immunity can be, you think you got immunity from personal, personal responsibility over their supervisor, city council. Uh, uh, somebody's going to pierce that immunity. I'll see you next week. God willing, uh, do something good this week for somebody. And, uh, we're in trouble in this country. If you you just want to sit by, uh, I think, Hurting times coming your way. We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them. Sweetheart to miss Sugar to kiss